Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagenia.org. Praise Yahweh, and thank you for listening. Tonight, we decided to have an open forum program. It is Friday, February 18th, 2022. I'm actually preparing for a road trip. I have my next segment of the Revelation commentary almost finished. I need a couple hours, maybe Sunday morning. So, I don't know if I'd have finished it in time for tonight. I would have gone right to the last minute, typing probably. But that's okay. We will have that in our pocket next Friday when we're on the road in Tennessee. Page Howard, the God of Israel. I want to start first before we start our open forum discussion. I want to take a moment to thank our many supporters. We are blessed that we're still here and I deeply appreciate that and praise Yahweh for it all the time. However, I know that many of our supporters and some book purchasers as well this past month have had a hard time because I had a new credit card provider and their charges were consistently declined ever since January 3rd. That is because the new credit card provider canceled our account after five days, or not quite five full days. It was initiated December 30th. It was canceled January 3rd. So the ADL is watching, the devil is watching, or the SPLC, or somebody is watching, and reporting out every move to whoever they could report it to. And all I could say is to hell with them, to hell with those stinking Jews. They are not going to shut us down or shut us up. Screw them. In the meantime, I will look for a new credit card provider. The company that I had gotten in December is AlignPay, L I. A-L, I'm sorry, AlignPay, A-L-I-G-N-P-A-Y, all one word, AlignPay.com. They claim to cancel the cancel culture. Well, I'm not exactly the cancel culture, but it didn't take them long to cancel me. Now, they had, actually, they're just a middleman company. They hooked me up with a company called Cornerstone. Cornerstone evidently caters to various churches, and I guess that Christagenia was too hot for them to handle. It was actually Cornerstone that canceled me, and AlignPay will not answer my inquiries. So that's where it is, and it's probably a dead end because I don't have teams of Jewish lawyers to look out for my interest. That's never going to happen. So that's all I wanted to say about that. And one way or another, we will survive. Praise Yahweh. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here this evening. And the conversation is yours. There's about uh, over a dozen people here. The conversation is yours, and you make of it what it is. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Hello, Joe. What's up? How's tomorrow? <laughs> Living in Tomorrowland, yeah. On the flat earth, of course. On the plane. I'm on Recording the other side of the on. plane. Yeah, well, we we in America are, are happy to hear you in tomorrow because then we know that tomorrow's going to come, right? I'm kidding, kind of. <laughs> i got a question for you, though, Bill. 
if I'm in Tomorrowland and you're still in yesterday, how does that work on a flat Earth? Because I know you're big on the flat Earth. Wow. You know, I'm, <laughs> I might have you there. It really doesn't work at all. I guess it's what side of the pancake you're on. I don't get it. Just right? the, the whole flat Earth thing. I don't get it. You know, if the sun passes from your land to my land, and we all see that sunset below the horizon, you know, how do the day and night cycles work? I just know that a lot of the people that I know that profess flat Earth are are absolutely full of themselves. They won't even consider those things. That they're, they're just well, obstinate. Well, I asked the flat earther recently how the time zones work, and he just said, "I've never been to Australia, or I've never been to Antarctica, so it doesn't matter." Think, well, that's you incredible. Forgot. You got out on a plea deal with the FBI to not talk about flat Earth. Yeah, what right. You doing, man, can't be doing that, this. That, that's what some turkeys claim, right? Which is absolutely ridiculous because I have spoken about flat Earth. And it's just not true. The Earth just isn't flat. Anybody that can observe the motions of the stars, sun, the planets, and the moon, and especially the sun and moon in relation to the Earth, would learn very quickly that the Earth cannot possibly be flat. I'm sorry, it can't be. Now, I'm not going to argue NASA. I don't give a damned about NASA. I don't care about geocentricity, heliocentricity, all that stuff is peripheral. We may not even be able to prove one way or another whether the universe is geocentric or heliocentric. It doesn't matter. But my own observation tells me that the Earth is not flat, and a flat earther, no matter how much data he comes up with, can't seem to prevent himself from cluttering the arguments with a million NASA memes. And NASA memes are meaning, meaningless to me because it's not NASA that convinced me that the Earth is a sphere. It's my own observations and knowledge about, as Joe said, time zones and seasons and other sorts of phenomena, like the changing constellations from the northern to the southern hemisphere, and things like that, that convince me that the Earth is a sphere. And no flat earther is going to unconvince me until he can explain, rationally explain, how all of those things work, because on a spherical Earth, they work very well, and they can be conceptualized and visualized in the human mind with relative ease. That's all I'm going to say about right, that. Right, yeah. Well, the, the main issue I have is when, they, when it's claimed that being a flat earther is more pious than having any other conception of the shape of the earth, because I don't really care what shape the earth is. I didn't. But the sunset is the one that really trips up. Like, if you want to focus on something, the sunset is something that causes Flat Earth a lot of difficulty because the sun does set behind the horizon line. And so for a time, Flat Earth has tried to claim that sun shrinks as it approaches the horizon and then just disappears into another land. It doesn't cross absurd. the horizon, is what they would say. And then after a time when that, that argument didn't seem to carry them so far anymore they changed and they started making these coin on table experiments but the problem with the coin on table experiments is the coin gets smaller as it moves away from the camera 
whereas the sun, as we observe it in the sky, it doesn't change size. We can measure how wide the sun is as it crosses the horizon. It never changes size, neither in the winter or the summer does the sun ever change size. And so just by observing the sun, we can tell that this flat, I, I don't, I don't understand what flat earth is exactly. Is it a religion? Is it a scientific position? Because it doesn't seem to be either of those, you know, it doesn't seem to be a scientific position. Some flat earthers, for example, claim that the earth is in an infinite plane. And if you want to believe that, okay, you know, that's not really a scientific, I, you know, is, is it some sort of conspiracy they're interested in? I don't understand what it actually is because it's definitely just by looking at the sunset, you can tell it's not a scientific position or based on any observations and they don't want to argue or explain how it would be possible. So yeah, the, the thing that's important though, is it's not part of our Christian profession. No, it doesn't even belong in our discussion. It really doesn't. I didn't get paid not to talk about flat earth. It simply doesn't belong in our discussion. I'm an identity Christian. I teach the Bible. I don't teach astrophysics. I can observe the heavenly bodies and make my own conclusions about what I might believe them to be. And that's fine. We can all do that. But I don't have to beat anybody over the head with flat earth. They think somehow this Bible proves that the earth is flat, and that's simply a lie. I've been through all those passages. It doesn't prove whether the earth is a sphere or flat. Well, we, first, in, some pa- in one passage in Isaiah, we have the circle of the earth. And in another passage, in several other of the prophets, I don't remember exactly where, we have the four corners of the earth. So which is it? Is it a circle or is it four corners? Four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, Revelation chapter 7. So are these actual physical descriptions that we should take literally? Or are these simply idioms that don't have a truly literal meaning at all? Well, they're just idioms. And you cannot prove that the earth is flat and a square, where it says four corners of the earth, Revelation chapter 7, or that the earth is a sphere, where it says circle of the earth, because the circle isn't necessarily a sphere in Isaiah. So perhaps the earth was a circle in Isaiah, and Yahweh God being pissed off at us for our sins, maybe he took a cookie cutter and made it a square. And it's a square in the time that Christ gave the revelation to John. Now, I'm just kidding. It's ridiculous for these people to read these allegorical descriptions that really have a totally different application and meaning and try to insist that they prove the shape of the earth. It's absurd. In Genesis chapter 1, if they really believe the Bible, they they claim the firmament is some kind of solid dome. But right in Genesis chapter 1, it says, and God called the firmament heaven. And then you go a little further in the scripture, and you see that the birds of heaven fly in heaven. That's Genesis 1 verse 8. God called the firmament heaven. So the firmament is the expanse of the sky. It's not a solid dome. If they really believe the Bible, they would be able to go to Isaiah 
Mm, I, I gotta find this a minute. It'll only take me a second. This is funny because we just discussed it the other night. It, it's Isaiah chapter 24. Yahweh makes the earth empty and makes it waste and turns it upside down. So if the earth is a pancake covered by a solid dome somewhere up in the sky, there's a solid dome, and he turned the earth upside down, we would have to take that literally if we take these flat earth passages literally, and we should have all been splattered on the dome 3,000 years ago. Yeah, but I don't believe in gravity, you know. <laughs> so, well, so neither do they, and that's why but, we should have splattered on a dome. Because we would have went down, down. The direction of down would have to change if the earth was turned upside down. But if the earth is an endless, infinite expanse of a plane, then how did God turn the earth upside down? And what is it turned upside down relative to? So I'm just using these as silly little arguments that the flat earth people shouldn't take these passages in the Bible literally and create what's basically a dogma from them, because they don't prove, they're all allegories and idioms, and they don't prove one way or another the shape of the earth. None of them do. It's like you have the same approach to flat earth that you have to every other plane that's made about the Bible, is we approach it objectively, and we we don't um, try and prove our own pet theories. We do word studies and that. And um, I refer to flat earther to your... Um, Bible study, and he wasn't interested. He he had made a study showing that um, the the dome was solid through a word study, but then I directed him to your more detailed study on the words, showing that it's you know the birds of heaven fly in that space, and they weren't interested. So they should they should be more objective and more. That's brotherly love, isn't it? Is that we can divide what our opinions are, what our subjective opinions are, and reach common agreement on the Bible, and you know maintain a, everything outside the Bible is a question to me, because I only really believe the Bible at the end of the day. What I can prove from the Bible, that's my approach to how I see the world. I don't. I, everything else is a question mark to me. Even even my own scientific ideas, my opinions. I I think. I don't really have an opinion on the shape of the earth, to be honest. I'm not that interested, but I can see that there are, I do have a problem with it being a part of our doctrine. I have some questions about how the observations make sense on a flat earth, but yeah, we have the same approach to everything. Every claim that's come to us from the Bible, we approach with the same, um, way of, of remaining objective and saying, can we prove this? Do the word studies, look at other passages, things like that, as you said, and Bill. That's what I always hope to achieve on anything I study about Scripture, is to be objective until I could examine all of the relevant passages, gather all the relevant data, and go through it all and examine it, and that's how I do my word studies, that's how I do my historical studies, that, that's how I translate Greek. That's how I approach it all. I'm probably not perfect at it. I'm just a man. I'm sure there might be some underlying bias somewhere. But for me to do that Flat Earth Bible program, I had to read Flat Earth material, Robert Shadowald and a few others, and, and I actually spent a lot of time 
examining their material. And if they were going to convince me, they should have if I thought it was true because I was looking at it objectively and I was trying to be objective in criticizing it when I decided that it couldn't possibly be right for all of these reasons when I went and studied their passages, the passages they chose, and determined that those passages were not saying what they claimed that they're saying. So I had to objectively read their material, and if they can't objectively objectively read ours, then, like you said, the belief in a flat earth is really a religion, and it's a dogma. It's not science, and, and it's not even rational. Mike no, from if it's not in the Bible and it's not based on rational observation, then what is it? Like I say, is it a fa- like if you want to like Kevin used to believe that the Earth was an infinite plane, and someone said to him like, "Okay, are there lands we haven't discovered yet? Where exactly? How does the sun get past the horizon line if it's an infinite plane?" And it didn't seem to concern him at all. It was like, "This is what the Bible says, and I believe it no matter what." And then the question is, "Is it what the Bible says?" And then like. So is it now your religion? Is it, you know, what is it exactly? Now you're calling us idolaters for not believing it, but are we just humble Christians that want to believe the Bible? Or, you know, are we really idolaters? I don't think we are. No. God called the firmament heaven, and a few chapters later the birds are flying in it. It's obvious that the, and they're the birds of heaven, and it's the same term. It's obvious to me that the firmament is only the expanse of heaven. And I explained that in the Flat Earth Bible program I did back in, what's that, maybe 2016? No, that was July 2017. Maybe I could do it better someday, but if they're not going to read the material, why? I'm not going to convince them. Why should I bother? Mike M., you know, he got all butthurt and barged out of the... Christianity forum, he just stopped coming and stopped coming to the chat. And that's fine. That's his prerogative. He could still be an identity Christian and not hang out with me. I mean, I'm not going to deny that. <clears throat> that's his right. Well, anyway, he got upset when he posted a whole stream of NASA memes after I had explained to him many times that I wouldn't accept NASA memes that they mean nothing because our belief that the Earth is a sphere isn't resting on anything from NASA. We don't use anything in NASA. I've never promoted anything from NASA on any of my podcasts. I I have a picture of moon phases that isn't necessarily based on NASA. It's just based on common sense observation. And the picture of the Earth that I have portrays it as a donut for personal reasons that I was just making light of several um, false conceptions. So where am I quoting or citing anything from NASA? And he just comes on a Kusigeni forum, posts a hundred NASA memes in one huge post, and I threatened to delete it, but I didn't. I moved it. And just moving it, he became all upset and butthurt and left the forum, and that's fine. But the NASA memes don't belong in the argument. Let's talk about the scripture. 
Let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about what these words really mean. They always avoid that. They don't go there. They'll make claims in videos, but when it comes to time to actually sit down and discuss it with me, they pull a Kevin and start accusing us of being idolaters and things like that. And and they're always <sighs> causing distractions, exactly like that. That's all they do is cause distractions. If you don't believe their religion, they're offended, but they're not going to sit and discuss the basis of their religion. No. It's like when you ask them, the sunset, how does the sunset behind the horizon? They'll show you trick camera tricks and stuff like that of the glare of the sun and you can't really see the sun things like that and it just seems dishonest to me but the thing is that you have a number of detractors now who all say you know you're an idolater you're a nasa you're a freemason guy yeah, right and they're, they're constantly doing it they're like you've made deals with nasa you've got handlers now and they it I mean, that's slander, isn't it? When you make up this whole backstory about how you're a Freemason who has handlers and these detractors, it's all because you said something about flat earth and you're against universalism too because there's a character who's a Sicilian or is that where he's from? Sicily? And he's a flat earther and he hates you, Bill, and he's really outspoken. There's a number of them. Yeah. You're, you're gonna get about ten more videos about you <laughs> being a flat earth hater. He's probably That's okay. outside your house right now, Bill. He's probably spying on you right now. That's okay. I, I, yeah, right. I know who you're talking about. He's a total circus clown. He actually used to be a supporter and he was, for a time, he was a moderator in the old Christogenia Forum. He was very active at Christogenia. He, I don't remember if he came to open forums or chats. I really don't. But he was around for a couple of years until he started to drift away after the split with Eli. He was actually, he found Christian identity when he was teaching English to gooks. In Korea. That was his job. Because he was a deadbeat dad. He wrote a book that he was a deadbeat dad. And he's proud of it. And he got screwed over in divorce case perhaps. I don't know the details. But I know there's a lot of dads that are screwed over in divorce cases. And really come out with a short end of the stick. So he was escaping that. So he went to Asia. And that was before he was CI, he made those decisions. But once he learned CI, his conscience weighed on him, and he came back to the States. So he was selling silver and gold, and he was trying to make a living doing that. And I don't mind somebody that trades silver and gold at market value. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with trading silver and gold at market value, just like there's nothing wrong with trading chickens or cows or land or, or any commodity at market value. And there's nothing wrong with making a little money doing that. But there's a lot wrong with, for an identity Christian, in my opinion, of selling, at, with selling silver and gold at an inflated numismatical value, which is an absolutely artificial value. 
the numismatic value of coins is artificial, and you're taking advantage of people telling them that they're going to need silver and gold in order to survive some coming catastrophe, which is what they all do, but selling them that silver and gold at some inflated numismatic value, that is ethically stealing. It's stealing. I don't care. So I would never accept it. So I didn't say anything about that in my podcast, in my commentary on James Chapter. I, I forget. It may have been on Second Peter instead, or First Peter instead, where he spoke about silver and gold. It's in First Peter one eighteen. It's in James chapter five. When in two thousand eleven, I was doing my commentaries on those general epistles. And got to the part about silver and gold. He got really offended. All I did was speak the truth as I see it. That when the proverbial shit hits the fan and Babylon falls, your silver and gold are worthless. And they certainly have no numismatic value. So how could you as a Christian with a clear conscience sell silver and gold to other Christians at numismatic value? which is highly inflated. Isn't, isn't that what it says, Bill? From memory, it says something like your silver and gold is cankered right. on the day of judgment. So it's right. worthless, isn't it? So when Yahweh comes and visits us, your gold and silver isn't going to be worth anything. Right, it Actually, will be it's worthless. it's going to be a judgment against you, isn't it? Isn't it yeah, you know what? Not, I'm not totally against silver and gold. In here, I probably got about 20 or 30 silver coins that... Some of them were Clifton's and some of them other people sent to me over the years. And I appreciate that. So it might be 15 to 20 ounces of silver. And that might be $400 worth. I don't even know, right? And it's nice to have around as an asset. But you know what? That ain't doing me a damn bit of good when Babylon falls and I can't get food. And if you have food, why the hell would you give it to me for something useless like silver and gold? It's not happening. Not only that, but if you think about it, Bill, this thing with silver and gold, uh, you know, there's all this value to it and everything. But you think about it, it's also a, a fancy object, right? What are you going to do? Uh, bartering is the best choice that you could ever hope for in a situation like that. Well, it well, seems right. like a very vain thing also. But you're better off if you're investing and I can't do it, right? I got a quarter acre here in a swamp. If you want to invest in your future, in your security for your family, the best thing to have is a little land and the ability to raise food. That's where your money should go if you have that kind of money to get a little land and the ability to raise food and you'll be a lot better off than sitting on a half acre, on a quarter acre in a swamp with a pile of gold. Because that ain't going to do you no damn good. That's my opinion. Or in a city somewhere with a pile of gold. Forget it. Somebody's going to take it from you. It, it's, he, this individual, this flat earth clown, he got all offended when in 2011 I gave my honest Christian viewpoint commentary on that passage. It was either... First Peter 1 or 
James chapter 5. I don't remember which one. It was probably James chapter 5, looking at the context of each of them. And James chapter 5, verse 3, first, that's the Apostle James, and that represents the Word of God. And I don't see how you become offended by those verses if you're a true Christian. But then we find out that he's half Sicilian, so it's very possible that he's not white. I'm not going to say every Sicilian is not white, and certainly not every Italian is not white. That's ridiculous. There's plenty of white Italians. There may be plenty of white Sicilians. I don't know. I've never been to Sicily. The Sicilians I see in New York, if they all look like most of those, forget it. But I'm not going to say every Sicilian is not white, but he is half Sicilian. He's admitted that now after all these years, and it's plausible that he's not entirely white. So that's I'm going to leave that there. I'm not even going to say it's definite because I can't say that. It's not my place. But it's very plausible that he's not entirely white, and that's why he hates the truth concerning the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats. But you know what? On that final day when the goats are separated and sent to the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels, there aren't going to be any goats that manage to get into the right-hand side with the sheep. It ain't happening. Uh, You just say that because you hate goats for no reason, Bill. Yeah. I know. You know, I, I uh, there's two uh, two things imp- that I think it's important. Out of South, Southern Europe, I think Italy is the least worse if you can consider Iberia and you know the region of Greece. I think those two regions are quote unquote dangerous, and Italy, in comparison to these two, is probably the least dangerous if we think about it. Yeah, well, and uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, the other thing that I, I wanted to comment about is, you know, if we think about, you know, the symbolism of goats, I don't know if, it's, if it involves secret societies or not, but I think Judeo-Christians, you know, they, they don't like goats. I think, you know, it's symbolizing, it symbolizes the devil or something. And, you know, the other if God really hated goats, you know, the four-legged goats, he would never have created them, would he? <laughs> yeah, they, well, they always give Satan goat hooves. Yeah, if if there's if God created everything, why are there elements of his creation that oppose him? Like why would God create something that opposes him? Because Satan means adversary, so adversarial to God. So if God created everything, you know, why are there elements of his creation that are apparently opposed to him? <laughs> this question you know, has come up a lot recently recently with like the daily stormer attacking us because at the daily stormer they were asking you know how god could not have our god could not have created all things because the daily was universalist and sometimes people who are new to our faith wonder how there could be people who were not created by god but of course christ speaks to people who were not who did not have god as a father and malachi asked the question in chapter two do we have do we all have God as a father? So, yeah, people should think about why would elements of God's creation oppose him if he created them? Of course, there well, are things that God didn't create 
that exist outside his law. It's very clear in Matthew chapter 15. I don't remember the verse. I could find it in a second. Matthew 15 verse 13. Every plant which my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted up. Matthew chapter 15 verse 13. So there are plants here that he's saying that in relation to people, if you read verses 10 and 11 and 12. So saying that in relation to people and then in verse 14 saying let them alone we see that there are plants here that he was dealing with in first century Judea that Yahweh did not plant now these Judeo-Christians might try to spiritualize that and say that it's something psychological they would be planted by him if they would only believe the gospel But no, that's not what he's saying, because in John chapter 10, he told them, you don't believe me because you are not my sheep, period. He didn't say, you're not my sheep because you don't believe me. He said, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. If he came for the sheep and there are plants that his father didn't plant, that Yahweh God didn't plant, then there must be people here who were not created by God. And the only way that you could have people who were not created by God is if they are bastards. And Yahweh God created, as Clifton liked to say, he, he created the mule and the horse, but he didn't create the, or, or he created the donkey and a horse, but he didn't create the mule. He didn't create the, the, the bastard hybrid of a mule or of a donkey and a horse, right? So, so, Yahweh didn't create hybrid animals, and he didn't create hybrid people. But we have plenty of hybrid people here, and them not being his creation. He created all things. He created all things that he created, but you can't blame him for the sins of men. And he created everything kind after kind. If you want to violate that, you can't force him to take the credit for violations of his law. This world has departed from him in exactly that way. And, uh, Joe, the only thing that would really work in that sort of argument would be wondering what was going on with, like, the one-third of the angels rebelling. That's the yeah, only right. thing the that you could of, actually use that argument on. Like, or what like was the sin of, of the fallen angels? And well, like it's the, the sin of the fallen angels. That's how it's like, we're not told anything about that. We're not. We don't know anything. Oh, well. There was only one law at the time. You know, don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it must have had something to do. And when she touched it, she's she's has she's having a baby now. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I mean, even before that, right? You know, one thing that I've uh, considered is that fact that if you think about it, you know, the atheist uh, types that they say, "Oh, but I'm a white person. I don't believe in God." You know, that's the sort of thing that I, 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 I would have to, you know, find reasons to. Perhaps it's blindness, uh, because that person would, uh, God decided to blind this person. And, um, the fact that, you know, they are right in the, in the 
posit of, you know, imagining, oh, if there's an all-powerful Satan, why doesn't God, you know, eliminate him? Because, you know, it's not a Satan with a red, red, um, red horns and a pitchfork. That never existed indeed. But God, this thing God, about, you know, go ahead. Yeah, right, right. And God will restore his creation someday. It's not some sort of spiritual thing. It's not the Satan is a spiritual murder or some sort of, you know, metaphysical murder. He was a murderer from the beginning. He, you know, literal murderer. These things are literal. But what was your first question again, Walt? The first thing oh, you said it was about... Re- oh, no, uh, it's about atheists. Like, for example, let's pick a guy from Sweden. That's right, right yeah. Like, he's from Sweden, and I say, oh, but I don't believe in God. I don't believe in fairy tales. You person. know, what causes this? Yes. Yeah, as a white person, I don't believe in God. But we have to remember that when God first called Israel from out of bondage, they knew nothing about God. They didn't believe in God. He chose them. You know, you've got to remember that the nation is like a woman and it receives its law and its beliefs and its faith from the husband. It receives everything from the husband. And so when a white person says, I don't believe in God, it doesn't matter what you believe. It's it's, it's not based on the belief of a man. It's based on the faithfulness and will of God. And that's where the, you know, we talk about all these detractors, but a lot of groups that want to see white people go to hell, that's where they stumble, is they don't realize that man is nothing. Man, all the thoughts and perceptions of a man are vanity. They're nothing. What matters is the will of God and his purpose in restoring his creation to what he, he originally intended. That's what matters. And so when you say, well, they're like, oh, I'm a white person. I don't believe in God. It doesn't matter. You're just a man. You know, and and it's sad that God hasn't revealed it to you yet. I guess they they may repent yeah. one day. They will You're repent one believe. day because every white man's going to stand before God. Sorry, Zach. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying. You know, they're going to believe that one day. Doug, Doug yeah. asked. Doug had asked me in the chat yesterday to address a comparison sermon titled "Is It Enough Merely to Be an Israelite?" And even though I had the audio podcast, now I haven't listened to all the pod- Compare audios. I've only listened to a handful of them and Swift too. I don't have time to listen to everybody else's audios when I'm producing two or three of my own every week, right? That's just the way it is. So, so is it enough to merely be an Israelite? I had the audio at Christagenia, but not the text, and I will have the text soon. Doug had posted a link to it on another website. I have to check it against the audio before I'll do anything with it to make sure that it's it's fine, to make sure it hasn't been tampered with. But I don't remember this sermon at all. It's much longer than the typical Compre sermon. It's just about 7,000 words, which is high for him. It's about double his normal sermon. So... Doug asked me to address this, and I have it on my desk now, and I probably will address it this year. That's all I can promise. I'll try to address it this year. So, what this, it it gave me, I read about three pages of it last night, and, and I had a couple of thoughts this morning when I woke up. And the first is this, are the promises which Yahweh God made to the fathers, are they unconditional guarantees? Or are they merely the offer of an opportunity to men? 
Which are they? And I, I think it's the first one. If we are subjected to vanity for our edification, as Paul of Tarsus said in Romans chapter 8, and as Solomon had even said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, if that's true, then is this trial in vanity merely a business venture, which we may either win or lose? Which is it? If it's for our yeah, edification. And when you talk about our trial in vanity, you're referring to our life. Right. In this world. Right, exactly. Because, so as our, Paul of Tarsus said, our life, sorry. As Paul of Tarsus said, God subjected us to this vanity so that we would be liberated into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing it. It's Romans chapter 8. I don't have it memorized according to any version. Here we go. For the creature. And by that, Paul means the creation. And in the context of Romans chapter 8, he's referring to the Adamic creation. Was made subject to vanity, not willingly. Well, of course not. Nobody wants to die willingly. But by reason of him who had subjected the same... In hope, because the creation itself, meaning the Adamic creation, also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of Yahweh. So, how many of us have to fail some trial before God's a liar? There's a lot of talk of this remnant that there were 8,000 men who have not bent the knee to bow. And that was the source of comfort to Elijah. And Paul had cited that in Romans in relation to the Judeans. But that remnant of believers has always been the body through which Yahweh God affected his will in the earth. He has always used them to accomplish that. He doesn't need, just like the story of Gideon, he doesn't need 30,000 to do his will. He really only needs one. So, that remnant doesn't, the existence of that remnant, who are willing to do his will, does not throw away the entire balance of Abraham's seed. He's doing his will in the work so that the entire balance of Abraham's seed is saved. And Adam had a commission from God, and God called Adam, and Adam was involved in sin, so he didn't hear God's call. But Christ is going to fulfill Adam's original purpose. Absolutely. He's going to restore the creation to the direction that God originally intended it. So you can see it there as well. And is there any Adamite that isn't saved? I mean, people will say some Israelites are going into going to hell, but then you when you look Right there in Genesis, Adam has a promise of deliverance from the very beginning. I've always enjoyed the argument line of Adam was given a spirit that was to live eternally. And that was the purpose. So how is, first of all, how is Satan going to win? 
I was the enemy of God going to win over God. Right. If one Adamite doesn't make it, yeah. then Satan wins. And two, how is God's purpose and his will going to fail? Ever. So that's just, that's just very simple, that. like, duh, that's not. Well, um, they're yeah, not. It's like uh, meta level, Zeph. It's like the next level, meta level. And they're not understanding that their bias, their personal bias, right? We all have a white enemy who, who we despise, perhaps. We all have a, a um, particular favorite white man that was such a fucking asshole and, and so evil that we can't imagine him getting into the kingdom of heaven, right? I, I don't know. I don't know any names, right? It might be Charles Manson or Jeffrey Dahmer, if he's white, right? If he's white. I don't know whether he's white or not. It's immaterial to this conversation. It could be Attila the Hun, for all I know, right? I mean, most Americans would say, Adolf Hitler. Yeah, right. Okay. So we all have this white man who we despise so much, we want to see him burn in a lake of fire. And we can't get over that bias to actually see the truth of Scripture. Paul of Tarsus was very confident and very plainly said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that as in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. And they'll sit there like Mark Downey sat there and said to me, well, that doesn't really mean all. And I'm like, all doesn't mean all. Okay, in reference to Adam, this doesn't mean all. And Robert Balakias says the same thing. He tries to divide up the Adamic man of Romans chapter 5 into different groups. And Paul doesn't divide them into groups. Paul of Tarsus very clearly explains in Romans chapter 5 that Christ died as one sacrifice for the entire Adamic race. And that situation transcends the relationship of Yahweh and Israel and goes back to Yahweh, the creator God, taking responsibility himself for the corruption of his creation. And that's why he needs to avenge himself against the serpent, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I mean, he is a sovereign God. If he he couldn't that how would he be the sovereign god if his pur- his purpose would stand no matter what i'm sorry right. i i think uh, the best sorry i think the best example uh i was listening to the podcast you know uh, Christ- uh christianity in the old testament which was the episode israel in the new testament and i think robert uh robert uh bertrand Campare spoke about nero you know nero is a let's just say a despisable figure but he is a, you know, a son of, uh, let's just say, a son of uh, Israel. So we we would like to, for example, see him in the lake of fire, but that is not going to happen. Well, the bottom line is that what I believe about Scripture doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from prison. It doesn't come from the fact that I, I had bad experiences in the big inner city when I was a child with niggers and spicks. I, I don't have this theology because of my own personal experience. I'm the guy that's contrary 
to making theology based on your own personal experience. Then we may as well be Judeo-Christians that are all over the map and they all believe something different because of their own freaking feelings. And the bottom line is that my theology comes from Genesis, from Paul, from Isaiah, and from John, and, and probably five or six other places in the scriptures in this category, in for this subject, for this particular subject or area. Thanks, beautiful. So it, it's I'm scripturally based, I'm scripturally founded. You could twist First Corinthians chapter fifteen all you want, but as in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. It's really simple. How could they be put any more simple? And is Paul of Tarsus a liar for saying that? Yeah, and like build your house on bedrock. Don't build your house on the sand and feelings. And then the next day you find out that you're fe- you're feeling a bit different about the guy because you know last week he stole your bike, and the next week he comes back and he says, "Sorry, I stole your bike. I needed to get down the shops real quick. Here you go, and here's ten bucks for the trouble." And then you decide, wait, this guy's not so bad. Maybe he is going to heaven. You know, so if we don't let our feeling, if we build our house on what the scripture says rather than our own feelings and opinions and we learn to divide, humbly divide, separate out our feelings from what the word of God says, then we're leaning on the word of God. You know, I don't believe anything but the Bible. I try my best. You know, I'm still just a man. I try my best to only believe really what the Bible says and to separate my feelings out. Well, right. I mean, if you wanted me to give you a quick rundown on Adamic Eternity, as I've called it in a podcast, I would go right to Isaiah chapter 45, Wisdom of Solomon chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and Romans chapters 5 and 8, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So I have plenty of witnesses to back up what I believe about scripture and the creation of God in relation to our race. And I could go further than that. We could go more. I could keep going into more obscure passages and maybe those passages by themselves wouldn't stand, but they would support those core chapters and verses that I just spoke of. Well, I'll just add a quick little, um, you know, when when I first started listening to you, and I first, you know, I, one of the things I remember you always saying is a lot of people bring their baggage from whatever denomination. Or right. They, they, they right. And, you know, when I first heard that, um, you know, all are safe, I'm like, oh, that can't be. Just like you said, I know there's other CI people that don't believe that and don't teach that. And it's like, once I got thinking about it, I'm like, I got to put all, all my... my all these lies that I've been told for years, I, I got to forget. I got to unlearn that stuff. And I, I think a lot of people, it's just, uh, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow, so to speak. And they, they don't want to believe it. Because, like, you, you're talking about not liking, you know, some, you know, somebody that's white in your life. And, you know, obviously I've had those people in my life, too. And sometimes some white people make it hard to like them. But I I'm, uh, have a very different view on people now that even, you know, piss me off, they do do me wrong. I try to, you know, turn the other cheek, forgive them, you know, 
let that slide off my shoulders. And it might not happen in an hour or two, but you know. Right, absolutely. And, and it is difficult. I understand that it's difficult. I've been to prison. You don't know how many guys I've had to forgive for some bullshit that, that I just had to let slide. And, and I may not have talked to them again in prison, but I didn't hold a grudge against them or try to go get them back, right? Exactly. That, that, yeah. I didn't do that. I drew the line there. And, and that was not my prison persona that did that. It was my, Understanding as a Christian that compelled me to do that. Because if I wasn't a Christian, I'd have gone and put him in a hospital, right? I, I mean, there's a difference there. So, that being said, yeah, you know, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and a guy that sleeps with his father's wife, a guy that would sleep with his father's wife would just screw any woman that he could. Right? I mean, where do you draw the line, right? And and this guy slept with his father's wife, so he is basically a huge piece of shit, as we might say. So, Paul says, deliver such a one, if he's unrepentant, to Satan for destruction of the flesh, so that the spirit may be saved in the day of Christ. So, even though this guy's a Big piece of shit, slept with his father's wife, probably hit on your wife and his wife and his wife and his wife too, because a guy like that would sleep with anybody. He'd probably try to corrupt your daughter if he could, and his spirit's going to be saved in the day of Christ, according to yeah, Paul I don't, I don't understand how they get around ones like that. I've, I've never actually heard them answer that, though, These a lot of these people, these CI like groups. I've never seen them explain that, and they probably never will. Well, well, this is harmonizing the scripture, taking that passage and putting it together with, with all Israel being saved in Romans chapter 11 and Isaiah chapter 45 and the entire Adamic race being saved in Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. We see that even a scumbag like this, his spirit's going to be saved in the day of Christ. Now, that has nothing to do with resurrection and reward in the kingdom of heaven. But we see that every Adamic spirit is eternal. If as soon, as soon as you imagine that one bad Adamic man can, by his own hands, get himself into the lake of fire, then you're saying that salvation is by your own hands rather than by the hands of Christ. And if we take it back to the analogy of the woman, Bill, um, in the law, the husband can nullify any decision the woman makes, even if the woman, because it's the husband's duty to protect the wife. So right. if the woman decided she was going to make a dangerous decision that would lead her down the path to death, the husband can nullify that decision. That the wife does not have the right to destroy herself. So there's that relationship between God and Israel as a husband and wife. Well, he has the right to nullify any decision she's ever made. Absolutely. I, I will nullify her covenant with death. Covenant I don't remember the exact death, words, yeah. right? I don't know anything about the Bible, right? I can't. I don't know the Bible. I, I will. There's so many little things. Yeah. So Jacob shall no longer that... wax pale. Your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. So what does that mean? 
Well, what does that mean? If you try to destroy yourself, you're going to fail. Well, and and the nation was here's alive, the thing, so God has that right to certain. Well, Bill, here's the thing: there's a bunch of people that are ready to say indirectly, right? No, God is a liar. God is a liar. Christ is a liar. Indirectly, they would do that, of course. <laughs> trying to disprove passages. I've heard them say, well, I've heard them say something like, in the day of judgment, all the sinners will be resurrected, and then some, the bad guys will be killed again. It's like, what's the point in resurrecting all these people just to kill them again? Like, that's what they believe, that God's going to resurrect all people, judge them, and then put, you know, most of them, except the 144,000, to death. And it's like, how does that make sense? What's the point in even judging them? Isn't the judgment that they're dead? In the, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense to me why God would resurrect all people and then and kill, them, kill again. them again. <laughs> well, if you think about, you know, spending eternity in shame, like, why didn't I listen to him? Why did I do this? Why did I do that? That's worse than death. You're going to be lamenting for eternity. You know, that's a punishment enough. Yeah, but it's better that. than uh, going to some hellfire forever, or you just burn, or whatever. I guess Catholic so, hell. Catholic yeah. hell. They're like Catholic hell is not a joke. That's too light, man. It's, it's serious. It's hardcore. You'll be burned. Yeah, it, that's the, the Catholic hell. And it's sad to see that people want like whites to go to the Catholic hell because the Catholic hell is pretty brutal. You only get the Catholic hell though if you diss the Pope, if you disrespect the Pope, if you disagree with the Pope, then you go to Catholic hell. I, I guess, guess I'm going to Catholic hell. I said fuck the church a bunch. We're all going to <laughs> Catholic hell, I guess. I might do, be going after my next weird. podcast. Did Were you racist towards a nigger? You're, you're going there for sure, because the Pope has said that it's okay to be gay and stuff like that, so... Yeah, you're going to feet. I shouldn't have said that black you know, cat was going to the lake of fire. Who can you know, by the rules? Yeah, you know, I have to take Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 and cross-reference it to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul says that even if all of a man's works burn up in the fire in other words you haven't done one damn thing your whole life that's worth talking about that's worth remembering all your works have burned up you've been an asshole all your life you've been a thief a, a, a cheat whatever it don't matter and I have even if all your works burn up in a fire, you yourself are still saved. Come on. So all your works are evil if they burn in a fire. Whatever they were, whatever sins they were, but you yourself are still saved. First Corinthians chapter 3. And that goes right hand in hand with First Corinthians chapter 5, which shows that Paul of Tarsus was consistent in that teaching. And then you go to Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, and some are resurrected to shame and everlasting contempt. So what is that shame and everlasting contempt? I can only imagine that it's having no good works that you did that were actually worthwhile. Any act of loving your brother would be a good work and couldn't be burnt in a fire. 
But if you've been a total useless POS all your life and just took advantage of your brethren and sinned, well, then you might have no good works. Maybe they're the people that are raised to shame and everlasting contempt. That's what it seems to me. I I can't guarantee that's right because I only have those two scriptures. But that's what it seems to me. That you have no treasure in heaven, as Christ talked about storing treasure in heaven. So even those people, even though they've done nothing good their entire lives, they're still everlasting content. For you to have everlasting content, you still have to have everlasting life. Well, would you cross-reference that to where Christ says, if you were ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you, you know, in the coming kingdom? Because... If you were ashamed of him all your life, you're not going to be living the way, you know, he was by his rules and by his law. And so then when you get to the kingdom, you'll be in shame and everlasting contempt before him. So maybe he was speaking towards that when he said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. And of course, the Pope is ashamed of Christ in his message. The Judeo churches are ashamed of Christ in his racial but and and they are and I agree, right? But the average person, how could the average person in the street today be ashamed of Christ and His message? They've never heard it. They have no idea right. what it is. You could go to church for fifty years and never hear the gospel. You hear just little one-line verses here and there, and and a Roman Catholic priest will give you. John 3.16, and then he'll give you a 20-minute sermon that's all bullshit that doesn't mention one other scripture. It doesn't mean anything. Like, it, it's just a, a series of confused, disjointed verses that doesn't really mean anything, and you've never had the opportunity to put it all together. No. Go ahead, Joe. And that's why our approach is so important is because we're putting it together. We're trying to put it together all together the right way and build the house. You know, the house of God is our nation, our people. We're, that's the true house of God. We're trying to put it all together to build that house, to build up that racial message, the um, Elijah ministry. That's why we have the approach we have is because we don't want to live in ignorance and confusion like the Judeo-Christians where you're getting one verse here and one verse there and you're trying to make sense of it. None of it makes sense. You're trying to connect all the dots like a conspiracy theorist and you can't get there. That's why our approach is so important, the approach we have in CI versus what they have. Well, one of the points I've brought up in conversations is how many of these people, because I agree, you can go to the church for your whole life and not understand the gospel. How many of these people are actually studying their Bible daily? You know, how many people are actually reading? I'm not saying there aren't some Judeo-Christians that don't read their Bible daily, but are they actually studying the word? Because I think most of these pastors, they're more like a motivational speaker than, than a teacher. Right. They're not teaching the word. They're giving you some happy, feel-good message to make it through the week or, or something. They're, they're, yeah, and what, what? they're not giving you any food. They're, they're, they, they're getting milk themselves. They haven't moved on to the meat. How can they give it to their parishioners, you know, their, their congregation? But starving. They're, they're 
their congregation is like starving. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's like, what is it? Is it a religion? Is it a scientific position? Or is it just the religion or cult of the world? Is it a political thing? Because that's what it seems to be. It seems to be like a political, religious sort of... In, in, in the ancient world, religion and politics were the same thing. So the Judeo-Christian church, is it a religion? Is it, is it a politics thing? Is it a scientific position? It doesn't seem to be the religion of the Bible, though. In, in ancient in ancient Babylon, the kings realized that they had to cooperate and work with the priesthoods to control the people. They knew that. They always knew that. Religion and law, theology and law, theology and and how you govern your personal your personal life are absolutely inseparable. In this modern age, we have this trick. It, it's a trick. It's deceit. It's deception brought to us by the Jews called humanism, where we think that we could have a secular society. Secular is worldly anyway. It's not really secular because you're just an idolater. But they they have fooled us into believing that we could have a secular society so that people of many different religions can function together in the same society without God. And that's just a deception. It's not true. You cannot separate. Look at the problems we're having right now today with this BLM and how they want to defund the police and get rid of our laws. Because all of the white laws of of white European nations were based on Christian doctrines and principles. These niggers want us to, they think they have the political power now to do it. They want us to get rid of our laws so that they can live by the law of the jungle. There is no separating religion and what you believe from the laws that your society is going to uphold. All law is based in the people of the nation, what they believe about God. All law is basically legislated morality that comes from their God, from what they believe about their God. There's no separating that in reality. But we've been tricked in this age of humanism to believe that that could be possible. It can't be possible. It seems like the whole world has the same God except us. It's like we're the only ones with the real true God and the rest of the world is following some false God. But I think you did a um, a sermon recently, Bill, on the prophets and you pointed out how we're taught today that we can have a secular society and prosperity, whereas the truth is that the further we depart from God in his ways is the closer we come to death. Right. Absolutely. Right. There's hey, no Joe, doubt. being ashamed of Christ and his coming, it's it's uh it's almost impossible for anybody to be uh ashamed of the Christ that they teach. But right, they're, right. they will definitely they will definitely be ashamed of the one that's going to kill all their bastard children, huh? So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, they are ashamed <laughs> of that that message. Yeah, but, well, yeah well, you're but, right. Like look. 
just like the yeah, kings. But, yeah, Jesus didn't have to fight it. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Just like the ancient kings understood that they had to cooperate with the priesthoods in order to control the people. The same thing happened here in the United States with the Federal Reserve Act. And right after the Federal Reserve Act, they started offering these tax exemptions to these churches if they would agree to a certain set of government rules. So these churches agree not to teach about politics, to to conform themselves to government policy, which means government policy concerning racial minorities, government policy concerning homosexuality and things like that. These churches, to maintain their tax-exempt status, they have to conform to these government policies. They cannot preach against them. So the churches have just, ever since they started accepting those IRS 501c3 tax exemptions, the churches have simply become agents for the government and their religion is the government religion, period. The thing is, um, they also were doing that in the medieval times in Europe. So it, it just got worse in the age of humanism because if you go back a thousand years at the time of Justinian, there's already a mind melding of uh, church and state. Right. Well, yeah. That's and, what, like, like, J.D., you say, who would be ashamed of the Christ that we're given today? And we're also taught that Christians would be persecuted for their beliefs Who's going to persecute the Judeo-Christian today? They they go along with it all. They go along with homosexuality. They go along with multicultural. They go along with everything. They even accept Muslims and stuff like that. Clear idolatry. They're like, let's make friends, interfaith relationships and stuff. So really, Judeo-Christians should say, why am I not being persecuted? Are these the sorts of beliefs that are persecuted in the world? And why is my Christ, the Christ that I believe in, not represent the truth of the Bible? Well, I agree, right. Joe. And like you said, Bill, like you can't separate God's law from the laws we are going to follow as a society. Well, these churches don't. They're following their God's law because just as Joe said, they accept these. The The only thing I can think of that I've ever heard in church preached against is homosexuality. Everything else they accept. Right. Like but says, in Muslims, the, you know, it, almost anything else. And you, they, all pastors talk about a secular society. They talk about sports and football and what Netflix and I mean they're always making right. connections to secular society. Gotta make a, make a they're totally they secularized. I agree. But in the 1970s, before the 1970s, the Southern Baptist Convention did not accept race mixing and expressed the fact that race mixing was a sin. And they had pressure on them from the government year after year after year until they buckled. And now they accept race mixing. And there's no problem well, with you marrying a nigger. You'll still go to heaven. Your kids will still go to heaven. And they'll tell you that. My wife, Melissa, knows girls that from Bristol, Tennessee, that married niggers because their pastor said it was okay. But in the 1970s, they were all preaching that it was not okay. So, you so what changed? Those women if you did, if you lied to them like that. Something about what Doom said, like if we bring it back to the wife and the husband relationship again, um, who is the woman married to in Revelation? 
She's riding on the beast. She's married to the beast. And where do we get our laws from? Well, our laws come from the husband. So in ancient times, we got our laws from Yahweh God. And they're the just laws we see in the Bible. Now we're married to the beast. And what laws do we have? We have all these unjust laws from Satan, the Jews, and the rest of the scum. Right. It's inevitable. It has to happen. It's like that marriage. That marriage relationship is still there. You can see she's married to the beast. Now she's getting her laws from the beast. The wife gets the laws from the husband. So that that relationship is always present in um between Israel and God. Right. Joe, I want to know what Melissa's been putting in my mug. Where's that camera? There you go. Oyster City, Mill Pond Blonde. <laughs> what is that? Is that milk, Bill? <laughs> yeah, that's milk, all right. That's, it's only like, Five and a half percent. It, it's pretty good. I only drink local stuff. I only drink local beer. I don't drink no garbage. I'll drink tea if I don't have local beer. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't have like a few beers much, tonight. But that stuff is good. That's like <laughs> the best beer I've had in a long, long time. Local, you got to buy local. We should all buy local. We shouldn't buy anything from these major international corporations, nothing. I mean, some things you have to, right? Like toilet paper. I'm sorry. I got to wipe myself the conventional way, so I got to buy Scott toilet tissue from an international corporation because nobody makes it down the road, right? If somebody made it down the road, I go try his in a minute. So some things you're stuck with. your own bill? We should wow. make our own. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I only got a quarter acre here, but you know what? There's 10,000 trees right across the canal from my backyard, and I could just bring them over here one at a time and pulp them up, but you won't get a podcast for a long time, right? Cause it's a lot of work. <laughs> I'd have to make like vats and boil the pulp in the vat to make paper and figure out how to press that off into, no. No, I'll just go to Walmart and buy Scott's. I'm sorry. Some things we just have to bite the bullet. But everything you can, you should try to buy local or do yourself. I agree, if you can. Especially if there's like a white family-run business near you and then you've got the big conglomerate. Just go to the – it's probably a few bucks more. And what's a few bucks to invest in your own people? Getting back to gold and silver, I think I'd rather have a roll of toilet paper. You yeah, know, that's people... right. Bill was saying before, you know, like invest in um, your own people. If you've got gold and silver, invest it justly. People are so selfish. And I remember as a child in the 1960s when we started to be really flooded with goods from overseas, from Asia, people didn't care. If they could get a pair of sneakers for $5 instead of $15, they were buying those $5 sneakers. They didn't care where they came from. Toasters for 8 bucks instead of 20 they were buying an $8 Japanese toaster. They didn't care that they were just selfish and self-centered and didn't think... Oh, if if I pay $20 for a toaster, I'm supporting the white guy next door that works at the American toaster factory. They didn't care. They just stabbed him in the back and went and bought a Jap toaster. And and I... Well, but, now they are now you can hardly find anything that's 
not made in China or right over there. <laughs> and that's it why it seems like they now own us. Like they 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 did the Trojan horse and got a got in with their their cheap goods, and now China owns Australia, which is sad. You know, China's allowed to buy whatever they want in Australia, whereas it's my forefathers and our brothers, our race who built this country and built your country too. They they. They've taken America, they've taken Europe, you know, they control the economy of our society. The, the thing that's really sad about um, what you're saying, Bill, is, yeah, even people that started off buying local and buying goods made in their own country and paying more back in, let's say, the 80s and 90s eventually found themselves in the position where they couldn't afford it because the way taxes keep going up and inflation and, and all these other factors involved. And and then they would at least do partial buying at major corporations and the cheapest thing around, but then that serves to then feed the problem. And, and so it's it's um you know once it begins, it's inevitable that it will take over. The cheapest price will rise to the top. Um, essentially, I mean that's what we're we're living through. Absolutely, Absolutely. but people are people are selfish. People are selfish. I noticed that on my own in the yeah. 60s, that people were quick to buy stuff made. And I was a little aware of it because my father, being a contractor, right, he was a house painter, he was always bitching about cheap Korean tools or cheap Japanese tools. And even in the 60s, he was lamenting when he could buy better American-made stuff. And that was my dad. And And he kind of made me aware of that. But my own experience in watching my my friends as a child and and their parents and and what they were doing, they were all sort of selfish and and greedy and would save if they could save two or three dollars, they would very quickly buy the Japanese or the Korean stuff rather than buy American. And I'm I'm not I mean usually when you buy American. You're just like waving a flag for some Jew, but at least if you buy local, you're supporting white folk that you can know and see and communicate with that you know you're doing a good thing for your own community. Right. It's kind of like the Bible said that, you know, he that don't take care of his own is worse than an infidel. Well, you think about the white men who uh, run businesses you know, instead of hiring white people, they hire Mexican for cheaper labor. So it's the same difference nowadays. Right. It's just got that bad. And, and, and I've seen that too. I've seen like clothing and stuff that was made in USA that I wanted to buy. And yet you look at the factory and it's all freaking Mexicans. And it's like, wow. So two Jews own a factory where a hundred Mexicans work and everything's made in USA. So yeah, that has its pitfalls too. You got to caveat enter, right? Buyer beware. That's just the way it Another is. Another problem, sorry, is um, like, okay, so you buy locally, right? And I, I'm, I'm saying that it's a good thing, but ultimately what happens is over time, now those guys that have been struggling, these local people, smaller businesses that have been struggling to fight against these huge corporations, they get some local buyers, they turn around and they spend their money um, buying the cheapest things they can from these local corporations. Operations because right. they're struggling, so it's just like a never-ending, uh, uh, you know, pitfall. Uh, I'm not even sure of the word. I'm like a, um, it's just That's, a descending spiral. 
right? The and, and once of... it begins, it's just a matter of time before it, it, it becomes something that you can no longer handle. I mean, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. That's why what we as a people have become highly individualistic the last hundred years or so. We had this ideal of individualism, which leads us to all do the best we can for ourselves and to hell with everybody else. And, yeah, and that's, that, that is and it's a, another reason why we, we should not trade with foreigners to begin with. And we were told not to, and, and we were never allowed to thousands of years ago. And now, of course, I mean, you know, it's something that people just view as harmless, right? They, they're like, oh, no, I don't want them coming here. Like, let's say a white nationalist or something. I don't want them coming here. I don't want them coming here in large numbers. But it's okay to trade with them as long as they stay in their own country. And, of course, that doesn't work. That just leads to the same problem ultimately in the end. Right. A lot of these small businesses, too, they go along with the world cult, like they believe in, like, feminism, multiculturalism, all those religions. So you try and do the good thing for your local business, and then you come in to butcher one day, and he's got a sign-up. I'm like, oh, the gay parade. I'm supporting the gay parade. You're like, So they're all caught up in the world religion. So there's a world economic order um, paired with a world religious order. Yep. And all these businesses are all subject to this beast. And even if we want to, while we're living in captivity, we want to help our own people. But at the same time, they're caught up in this beast. And that's what's sad to me. Yeah, all that stuff has become a business dogma where you literally just have to have signs up that say Black Lives Matter or else you have a higher chance of being robbed. Yeah. Or, or, you know, like some media group will single out your business and say this business is pro Christian marriage. This is a Christian business, right? And yeah, the media say will just you're racist attack or and something. attack and attack and destroy their whole business. And like that's what's happened with this corona thing. Any business which refuses to submit to the beast is destroyed by this corona um nonsense. And they all they're all scared. A lot of small businesses are scared of the beast. They're in fear of the beast. Oh, yeah. They just submit straight away. Like as soon as the beast says, "Do you support gay rights?" They're like, "Yeah, yeah, we're the biggest gay rights supporters on earth." And they got of all course. the flags out and they don't don't kill us, don't destroy us, and they get destroyed anyway. I know business owners <laughs> like that. Yeah, they get no destroyed principles. anyways. It's like they made a deal they're, with the devil, and they're they literally scared the that there's going to be. News that, or like some small group that protests them because they're racist or something because of some message on their Facebook or something. Yeah, or like, because you, they're a Republican. Hey, like you've got a Republican working at your business. How, who, the owner the is Republican. He's, that's a racist business. Yeah, and he donated to the Freedom Convoy in Canada. We're freezing his bank accounts, and, and he's just, like, going out of business, and that's why they're all in fear of this beast. And they should have never made a deal with the beast. The director of community development at Facebook got fired for being a pedophile and sexting with sexting. He was sexting, sending sexual texts. Back and forth to a thirteen-year-old boy. They're all. Well, he was developing the community. That was his title, right? So yeah, so community works. development. All and of Facebook, these. They're not going to lose any business. All no, of these no, major corporations. 
because of that. I'm sorry, Dale. I, I said nobody's going to stop getting on Facebook because of that. They're going to keep spending no, four or five they, hours a day on that app or site. Well, they've had multiple Negroes run around and kill white people on live Facebook. I'm coming to the conclusion that Facebook is a boomer app, and once the boomers are dead, there won't be any more Facebook. Because yeah, there aren't any other people. ones that the kids use, like WhatsApp and other stuff. They own them too. <laughs> That's oh, the problem. Yeah, yeah they okay. do. They own most of them now, don't they? <sighs> Damn boomers. <laughs> You know how it works. So they were just better than you. They came up with the idea. They got the funding and they were successful. Whereas we're, you know, we can't develop our own platform because we're just, we're not successful. We can't work it all out. You know, we're not Indians or Jews. We just don't have the smarts to be able to social media. We're we're all just jealous of their Harley Davidsons and their Tahiti vacations. So I know how it works. I know that they get, um, a free ticket from these Jewish-run investment banks to run for 10 or 12 years before they ever turn a profit. And because they offer their services for free and they could run for 10 or 12 years without turning a profit, they cornered a whole market. And that's how it really works. I just, I'm, I discussed that a long time ago on a, on, on a podcast, how all these Amazon and, and, Google and Facebook came to control their niches in the internet because they were able to acquire financing that op- allowed them to operate for 10 to 12 years before they ever turned a profit. And if you try to open a store down the road or, or a factory or whatever, and you told the banker that you don't expect to run a profit for the next 10 years, he would never give you a loan. You would never get that business off the ground. Forget it. You're not even going to open the doors. Yeah, it's not like Bill Gates and Zuckerberg are geniuses. Like we're told, we're told all oh, these men are so successful. They must be geniuses. And Trump is a genius. And it's like actually Trump was bailed out by his Jewish friends. You know, it's like the Rockefeller. He wasn't actually a rich man. He was funded by the Rothschilds, so he was a Rothschilds front man. Is Soros a genius? The Jew, Kike, George Soros? Is he a genius or does he have the right connections? That's what it comes down to. Are you willing to betray your people for gold? Is what, what the question is for the white man. And if you're not a white man, you're just going, you're going to sell yourself out real quick. It's natural for a Jew to be part of this scheme. But for us, you know, to be part of that, that would be treachery against our own people. It is treachery. But we don't think about it as treachery because we only think as individuals. We no longer think as a nation. Nobody in America has thought as a nation in probably 200 years. Who knows? They weren't thinking... Sorry, Bill. They certainly weren't thinking as a nation even in a civil war. Well, towards that point, Trump used to have a TV show where he would, um, he presented himself as a genius and he would have his, um, proteges, I forget whether the apprentice, right? So he had his apprentices that would emulate him as individuals. And that was the path to success to emulate Trump and 
become his apprentice and you're all competing against each other. And Trump is a genius. That's why he was successful. If you want to be successful, you have to be his apprentice. And it's all a load of crock because Trump is an idiot. He's a scumbag. He's a traitor. He did, he got to where he was not through being some smart man who, and an entrepreneur. He got to where he is by being the lowest level of scum. And he might not even be a white man. And so then they have a TV show where it's a competition and everyone's being tested. Oh, how great are you? You know, these competitions about individualism that promote the idea that you can be a success individually. And that's part of this world cult religion. It's part of the lie the serpent told in Genesis to Eve that you can be as a god. It's the religion of the world. And I don't believe in that religion. Yeah, and also their desire for fame, right? Because we live in a pagan society, essentially, and pagans were always big on fame, right? Like you hear all those old Viking stories about they did anything for fame, and that was like the most important thing in your life was to be famous. Uh, and yeah. and so a lot of these guys, like the Bidens and the Clintons, and you know, politicians, Trumps, and, and other people, they really just care about this fame, and they're not really interested. They they want to go down the record books. They want to be, they want to have, they want to have statues of them that will stand for like hundreds of years and stuff like that. Because ultimately what they really believe is, is that this is the only life, right? And that's what it comes down to, you know? And if you believe that, that this is your only life, then I guess then that, that's a, that's what you would do, right? You, you would want, live you, for today. You yes. would live like one of the bastards. They live for today. They have not a care for tomorrow. What's tomorrow matter to them? Because they don't have eternal life. They need to get as much satisfaction as they can out of this life squeeze it for all it's worth because they don't have another life coming i don't even think they are alive in the way that we are maybe they're just brute animals that just carry out their lust and they have no sentience or life in them in the same way we do because we know in genesis only the adamic man was given life from god so that's a good point david well i mean i'm, I'm speaking of the white uh, men and women in particular. Though. Oh, okay. So they, yeah, like the, they sell out because they really ultimately think that that's what you're supposed to do and you're a loser if you don't. And and they're judging that, you know, like we have this society where everybody wants to be famous, whether it's just on some stupid YouTube channel or whatever. And, you know, they, you know the Jews have made everything. You've got to be a star in this, a sports star, a star in your field, even if it's like mechanical engineering or whatever. Like you have to be famous. You can't just be the best mechanic in the state or the city that you live in, or one of the best, you have to, people have to know who you are. Otherwise, what's the point? (laughs) It's just silly, right? Well, a lot of those people that get famous, they're not famous because they're the best at what they do. Like the best singer is, you know, the singer that's on the radio isn't necessarily the best singer. You can find a local person who's a a great singer, but they're not famous. So it's, there's another factor in there that decides if someone's famous or not. It's not, talent it's not a we don't live in a meritocracy is what i'm saying it's not a society based on merit who's the best because if it was a society based on who's the best who's the strongest who's the what you would have is a white male patriarchy and that's a big problem for the jews they don't want that and didn't hitler say that the life of the jew is this world only he doesn't have the choice to seek higher things. He can only live a life that's this world only. But the white men you're talking about, David, they should make the better choice, which is to live for your own people. So the white man has two choices. The Jew, he's a bastard. He doesn't have the spirit from God. He only has his, – his destiny is in the flames. He doesn't have the choice. He but the Jews, today. 
talking about singers, right? Singers, actors, it doesn't matter, performers. The Jews have taken multitudes of multitudes of no talent shills and hucksters and made them great singers or great musicians or great actors when in reality they just suck. Look, look at like too, Bill. yeah, scientists too, right? Look at like Carol Channing or I, I don't know. Um, that there's a Howard Stern. I, I don't know how many personalities out there that are Jewish that are famous, and in reality they suck. They're terrible. I, I don't even want to watch them. I can't watch them. They just make me sick. And and the, these these media corporations have made these people famous because they just keep shoving them down everybody's throats until they're accepted. Or, or people will think somebody's people... a one Jew. One Jew reviewer will say that so and so is a great singer, and everybody else will be afraid of countering or opposing that Jew reviewer in that big newspaper or that big magazine and and so and so goes down in history as a great singer when they sucked happens all the time uh, they'll be on like MTV doing a music video that's just completely degenerate and then white people will watch it and be like I want to be like that, I want to be famous, I want money and so they, they provide this model that our people seek after, like James Bond. James Bond, my favorite example. Oh, I want to be like James Bond. And it's like, if you want to be a real man, the model you should seek is the heroes, our heroes of the past, who were proud warriors and strong husbands and great fathers of nations. They were fathers of nations. Those are the men we should emulate. But the Jews give us these idols to emulate that are like a James Bond. He's the loser. He has no family you know, I don't know how he is as a spy, but he seems like a bit of a loser, a bit of a dumbass. He, he's going to get to the end of the story and find out, gee, you know, I spent my whole life in a bar with idiots. You know, where, right. where's, where's the end of my life? Where's the reward at the end of my life, the fruits of my life as a James Bond character? There are no fruits. You're just a dumb whore. You know, the what? The whore, she gets to the prostitute, she gets to the end of her life, and what does she have? Nothing. Well, James Bond is a good example, because he's a guy that was just a womanizer, and, and a whore, a male whore, and worked for the government, did anything his government wanted him to do, blindly, and and was rewarded for that, <laughs> with whores. So, so, right, James Bond is the perfect hero for young men today who the society wants to mold into that concept of and, and train in that indoctrinate into that belief that if you work for the government, you do anything your country wants you to do and, and you'll be suave, hang out in bars and, and have sex with whores. So yeah, James Bond was a sort of indoctrination of generations of white Christian youth for two or three, for 40 years, maybe 50. And you know, if you're having sex with a whore every night, you're not going to have a real deep relationship with her. You're not going to be a real deep person overall. You're just going to be a shallow person with shallow relationships and shallow thinking and shallow morals. Well, of course, and I'm sure that the real James Bond would probably sleep with guys if he couldn't find a girl and wouldn't care. 
and go along with this entire secular order that they've set up for us. If you want to be a real hero, you got to fight like a Nazi. you got to be one of those men who lay down their lives. That... I lost you, Joe. And be, you got to be prepared. I said, if you want to be a real hero, you got to be like one of those soldiers in World War II who laid down their lives for their nation. That's the real hero. you got to be prepared to be a real man and lay down everything. Absolutely. A real hero, hero is a, a Cleon or a Pericles or a, or a, um, a Herman or somebody opposed some empire and, and their tyranny for the sake of one's own people. Yeah, right. A real hero is Christ, of course, or, or a Paul of yeah. Tarsus that stuck his neck out to spread the gospel of Christ against the Roman Empire. That eventually killed him. But he helped kill Rome. So he got even. <laughs> even advocating the law of God in this society, you know, you're standing against the the whole society and the ways of this society. If you say, I believe in Christian marriage, people will be like, oh, so you're not going to the club? <laughs> Bit of a loser. And it's like, no, you're the loser. Because marriage leads to children, it leads to family relationships. That's what you want in life. If you're going to the club, there's no, there's nothing there. You're not going to find any fulfillment in that. You're just a dumbass. You've gone along with the cult. You can't think for yourself. You can't smarten up. And it takes a brave man to stand up and say, look, I believe in the laws of God, and that's the way things should be. That's the way everyone will be happy. You know, I, I don't need to dress like a nigger and pretend I'm some sort of um, hip hop, you know, some sort of cool guy or anything like that. I'm not going to be the cool guy they want me to be. I'm going to be the real deal if I can, you know. That's just the way I see it. Like, if you're standing up for the laws of God, you've you've got the heart, you've got the strength, but a coward would not stand up for the laws of God. Absolutely. Well, I, I hate to cut you short, Joe, but let's hear from Dasho for a minute, damn it. He thought we were starting at nine, like an hour late, but that's all right. You didn't nope. cut me short anyways. I want to hear from Dasho. Yeah. He's got something to say. He's got plenty to say in the chat all week. He better have something to say. How about Martin? Dasho might there? be off cooking. He's here, but he might be off cooking or something. Maybe he's changing the brisket what? in the smoker. What about the freedom convoy with the America with the Canadian tyranny? That's a nice topic. I don't pay much attention to that. Maybe David knows more than I do. Not really. Noble, Noble's here. Noble, no. Hey, can you guys hear me? You know, PV was kind of on yes, top sir. of that Canadian thing. I don't really know much about the freedom convoy. Uh, what's going on right now, apart from the fact that they're freezing people's bank accounts. That's all I really know. Also, I know they're, um, they're lifting the mandates here in Alberta. And Joe, earlier, Joe was talking about how even small businesses will marry themselves to the beast. Well, here in Alberta, they're lifting the mandates and they're like, okay, you don't need to, you don't need a vaccine passport anymore to go to any small business. And even the small business owners are complaining about it. Like they don't even have any obligation to follow these rules anymore. And now that the rules are being taken away, 
their self-perception of virtue is so tied to humanism and to government that they're the ones protesting now. They're like, oh, hey, we want to keep the vaccine passport. We want to keep that. Don't take that away. And it's just, it's just mad because it's, I'm not meaning like large businesses are doing that, like really small time business owners, which I just find so, so mad, but it's just the state of society right now. It's like they're debasing themselves to a level, you know, that we can't even imagine. It's like, why are you debasing yourself to that level? You don't even have to now, you know, put on some clothes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That really is a very gay thing. <laughs> and I don't know how they're freezing the bank accounts. I don't know how they find out if you support the trucker gone boy. I don't know if they track your uh Okay, I did your, your financial statements or whatever. I did read something about that. So they're the banks and insurance companies in Canada. I mean Canada those are basically two monopoly industries, right? There's only a few I'm banks. Sure noble. I mean and there's only a few um, insurance companies. Who knows? Any way they can. I guess you guys can't hear me. No, I, no, I, hear, I hear you, David. Oh, okay. I was going to say, um, so I did read that these, uh, because this emergency I act hear David. That was has, me talking earlier. has been um, enacted, um, so they're, they're now deciding that they're going to go ahead and whatever the federal government tells them they'll do. And all that needs to be done is that you need to be suspected of financing these truckers in some way or another. So you don't have to have any proof. And that's part of what the Emergencies Act allows the federal government to do. It's like the Wartimes Measure Act, which is what it, its predecessor was called the Wartimes Measure Act. So just on suspicion, you can be arrested. On suspicion, they can do all these other things. Those major corporations, which are just a handful of giants, have already agreed to to do that. So I guess we'll see that going forward. And they're shaming people, too. You look at the news and you're like, 10 people in this neighborhood are suspected of having donated money. It's like a shaming thing. What? <laughs> suspected? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like Australia. In Australia, though, um someone will be walking down the street of a main city without a mask and a newsman will see I'm walking they'll be excuse me sir why aren't you wearing a mask and it'll be like on the news that night man walks down street not wearing mask (laughs) (laughs) and it's like what what is this but people go along with it it was crazy for a while in Australia because like person crosses border without you know with COVID after testing positive for COVID and then the media just hounds these people and they're just normal people just going about their business and the media just shows up and starts hounding them why aren't you wearing a mask don't you believe in COVID have you had the vaccine yeah sounds a lot like that it's like they're trying to uh, remove their enemies from society or something but without us there can be no society so I don't know how the Jews plan to do that but the Jews Well, when they started off the uh, war in Afghanistan and Iraq, anyone who spoke out against it, even teachers who said, you know, maybe we should step back and do some critical thinking. um, At first, they were like, okay, well, you know, there's freedom of speech, but then they immediately went and and they started firing them all. And uh, yeah, there, there is no dissension. You know, a verse that might be um, apt is that verse where it says, your enemy walks around like a lion seeking whom it may devour. 
And so everyone's scared. Oh no, the lion, the lion, it's marching around. It's trying to devour us. You know, that's, that's like the attitude of the people. Who can fight the beast, right? Yeah. The funny thing is that I've read somewhere basically that it says the, that Canada can import brown persons and fags, right? So they can do the protesting, but, um, you know, you know that sort of protest, like, for example, oh yeah, BLM, BLM, that sort of crap. Well, the vetoed protesting can still continue, but you know, the freedom convoy wasn't planned. So, you know, they're act- actively going against these people. And apparently the Jew, Benjamin Dijter or whatever, he's a fed because he works for the CSIS. I've heard the leader of the Freedom Convoy is a Jew, and I don't know, I think one's a woman and one's a white man, but one of them's a Jew, so that there, you know, makes me a little bit wary of it. Yeah, he's Jewish. Yeah, anything that gets any traction, right? There's always a Jew that jumps in front of every parade without fail. You know what else happened it, like in Australia that's similar to Canada is they um I think Martin might have posted it is no it was Doug posted on the chat that um the police were using microwave and sonic weapons against the protesters and I've people in Australia were shocked. Like doesn't the government love us? Isn't isn't the government supposed to take care of us? Why is the government using weapons on us? And it's <laughs> it's like yeah. Good. They actually started using that here in the United States in the, I want to say, uh, like the 1990 Democrat, uh, it was either the GOP or the Democratic Convention. Wow, all the way back then they were already yeah. using those same, wow, yeah. I didn't know that. People need to know that their governments aren't on their side. None of our governments are ours any longer. They haven't been ours for a hundred years now in, in England and course it's been a lot longer than that but people need to start waking up to this that the government is not our government that it's not on our side that we don't have a real say in it I I mean how long how many bad things have to happen to us right I mean how many chinks are in Australia how how many times have the aborigines the abos been exalted by the government to positions or to a status that they don't deserve how many farms and and other businesses have been bought up by the chinese if the government was on our side that shit would never happen period it's like martin said like people are scared of the beast well if you if you um believed in god you wouldn't be scared of the beast because you would know that there's a much greater power than even the beast so maybe that's it it's the idolatry it is idolatry yeah well (laughs) because they've abandoned god another thing that's interesting is that it's even gone down to the local level that if you if you look at like any city now the uh the the all the sheriffs, <laughs> they're all they're all some kind of uh, mud, and yeah, even uh, I mean, so th- there's the state legislatures have been um, corrupted, and it's been documented by by CIA, 
and also the even like the local uh, uh, political mechanisms. You, you have DAs that that they're um, who are radicals that their campaigns are being financed by you know the likes of Soros, right? And um, yeah, and, and even like your 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 county uh, commission and and. And uh, yeah, it's right down, right down to all to the block. There's a there's these local. Um, they're almost like uh, Facebook groups, and there are you can recognize that there's like teams of Canaanites working in coordination to um, to basically steer public opinion on different issues. Yeah, just um, yeah, it's all encompassing, right? Well, that's probably why I think they're trying to replace the police force and get men, white men out of the police force sure. is because these Indians and blacks will enforce any law they're told to. They don't have a conscience. But, you know, if you if you fear anything but Yahweh, God, that's idolatry. Hey, Bill? Absolutely. You, you should only fear God. We should only fear God. Yeah, He's in control. Because Yahweh controls both good and evil, right? Right. So as soon as we think in our minds that something is outside of the control of our God and that that these devils even can control something that he doesn't really have control of, then that is idolatry. Right. Everywhere in Scripture there's lessons throughout the Old Testament and even in the New of Yahweh using even his enemies, in order to chastise his people. So if you deserve chastisement, or if you're just chastised because you're part of a larger community that deserve chastisement, you have to understand that that chastisement came from God and reflect on your own life, outlook, attitudes, and repent. You can't imagine that somebody else did something to you that was outside of God's control. If somebody else does something to you, that is fully within the control of Yahweh. Yahweh can even create the thoughts in the head of a man. He's responsible for the what a man thinks at a certain time. He can deceive people. He can blind people. He can make them see what he wants them to see or hide it from. He can hide his presence from them. He's hid his presence from us for hundreds of years now as a as a punishment. We don't receive oracles from God anymore. I suppose we know him through Christ, but in a way, I'm just saying that Yahweh even um, <coughs> decides whether we should know him. He's the author of our faith. So for someone to think I'm saved because I believe in God, well, that's a credit to God. That's not a credit to you. It's the way right. I see it. Well, and Joe, most, most so-called Christians still are blind. Yes. Yeah, as a punishment from God, probably. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in the Bible. He said we would be. He said, I will choose their delusions. Yeah. And and it's very clear, and, and it was a big part of my commentary on John, that he gives us information on a need-to-know basis. We can't know everything. None of us know everything. None of us can possibly know everything. We can only hope, and Paul of Tarsus also taught this, we can only hope that we know what we need to know. 
And even Paul said, if you think you have knowledge, you still don't know what you need to know when he, in, in 1 Corinthians. I, I don't remember exactly where it is. I'm kind of paraphrasing. Yeah. Right. Because I don't know the I don't Bible. Know what you're referring to, Bill. And also, like, the relationship between the wife and the husband again, the relationship between a wife and a husband is the wife is always on a need-to-know basis. So the nation of God is on a need-to-know. We don't know everything God, the husband, knows. We're the, we're the nation. We're just men. We're on a need-to-know basis because the nation is the wife of God. When God called Israel, they were on a need-to-know basis. They didn't know everything. They were just told, come out to the dead. They didn't know that a promise would, and they would be given the law and they would be given marriage. They didn't know any of that. It was a need-to-know basis. So you can always bring things back to that relationship between Israel and God. Well, Even yeah, the apostles of Christ, he told them that I didn't tell you this because you didn't need to know it, right? He told them things on a need-to-know basis. Right. And they asked him. Even some, like, of, the, when, some of the prophets, sorry, they didn't know what they were, you know, once they were called to do something, they didn't know what was going to happen exactly, you know, at that time. Yeah, that's a great point, actually, because the prophets were recording the sayings of God, and they didn't know whether they had come true or not. They didn't know how their prophecies would be fulfilled. And then even hundreds of years, thousands of years later, even in our own day, the words of the prophets are still true. They could right. never have foreseen that as men. Nope. They were even, the, like you said, the prophets were on a need-to-know basis. That's absolutely right. You know, John, if John wasn't so... If you read the Gospel of John, right, to me, my impression is that John was a really super simple, innocent-minded man. He was just a young man that believed Christ blindly, but he was himself super simple and innocent-minded and pure of heart. So he wrote that revelation, and that shit is crazy. And he wrote he it and, and believed it when he wrote it and recorded it. But it's true. Once you understand the, the symbols and the allegories, the whole revelation is true, even though to a guy, and, and the church fathers struggled about this, right? The church fathers themselves couldn't believe the revelation and couldn't accept it as a canonical book, many of them, because it was sounded so fucking nuts. It sounded nuts to them. They couldn't understand it, so they didn't accept it as being canonical. But it stayed in the Bible, and it persevered. And today, we can look at that and say, wow, that happened. It is true. The purpose of prophecy is to vindicate the, the, the prophets. Dasho, you made it. What's up? <laughs> I, I I had I had to switch the conference around a couple of different uh, places to get it to work. I got it to work in Firefox. <sighs> really? Yeah, I'm using Firefox with no problem. I'm, other people have had problems. Zeph had problems. Yeah, I, I couldn't get it to work in other browsers. Sorry about that. Yeah, How are you gentlemen all doing this evening? Well, well thank you. But I've heard you say before, Dasher, and this is true, Bill said it, we, a lot of us have said it and realized it, is to be a true prophet today, someone would be, um, would give true interpretations of scripture. 
because a prophet isn't only someone who gives words from God that they receive from God. A prophet can be a man who reveals the truth from God. So to be a true prophet today, you'd make true interpretations of the prophets. You could be a prophet if you believed the prophets. And right. Christ, can, of course. You can, you can, you can be a prophet today, right? Like, and, and it's, it's, it's mentioned in, in Matthew and Mark as part of the ministry of Christ. And when, when he, when he went into the city in, in Bethany, right? He, he specifically, he specifically told the, uh, the apostles, uh, to go, to go find this, this donkey that also had a foal next to it and to bring it. And he did that for a specific reason. I, I don't, I think Matthew, Matthew was the one who recorded why. Mark didn't mention it. But in Matthew, I believe it's, it's outright stated, he did this to vindicate a prophet of the Old Testament. I don't remember which one it was, but there was a prophet who said that your king will come and, and he will come riding an ass that also bears a foal, right? Obviously, the prophet doesn't have any control over what, what Yahweh does. He can't control what, what Yahshua Christ does, right? Christ chose to do that because he loved that prophet, right? Well, there's actually a, a lot of that. There's actually a lot of that in Matthew, that this happened to fulfill the words of that prophet, and this happened to fulfill the words of that prophet. That That's actually Matthew probably half a dozen times. Matthew's wording, that was the way he worded things. And, and he was right. But the other, the other gospel writers did explain that certain events fulfilled the words of certain prophets. Matthew was just very explicit about it, I think. There's that other one where Christ tells one of the apostles to, you know, go find a fish and open the mouth of the fish and inside you'll find a coin and give that coin to pay the taxes. And it's like, so, Obviously, Christ couldn't have known all that set all this up to just fulfill his own words. He's obviously got his, he can transcend society, he can transcend reality in a way. These miracles he's doing um, attest that he's a true prophet of God because he's upholding his own words, he's upholding the words of the prophets, and he's upholding the word of God. So what Christ Dasha's is talking a true about? What Dasho's talking about is Matthew chapter 21 verses 4 and 5. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell ye daughter of Zion, behold thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt the foal of an ass. And, and that's basically a reference to Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. So okay, I just so thought I'd throw right. that in to, to, um, to to corroborate Dasho that that's correct. I was just thinking, like um, most of the prophets of the Old Testament, they would reveal things of the future and they would reveal the words of God. But Christ is the only prophet who revealed what happened right at the beginning. He was there at the beginning, so he's another level of prophet that can reveal things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So he's, you know. He's a prophet in a different way than the men who were prophets and who spoke for God. Well, well, I mean, he is God, and he was there, so he can yeah. reveal <laughs> yeah. what happened in the past. But that's the challenge. Once you understand what Yahweh is saying in Isaiah, show me the things that have been 
and the things that will be, so that we may know that you are God's. So, Yahweh and Isaiah is saying that for for me to know that you are God, you have to show me the things that were in the past and the things that shall be so that we may know the former, the end of them, right? You don't understand what's happening now unless you understand what happened in the past. So Christ revealed that. Yahweh. That's a great cross-reference, Bill. Well, that's the cross-reference. You know, cross show that you are Christ shows that he's a God. That's a great cross-reference. Right. I Sorry, go on. Right. Well, that's the way it is. Christ fulfilled that challenge in Isaiah. Wow. Yeah, he did fulfill that challenge. That's great, Bill. And and this is also mentioned in Matthew and Mark when he challenges when when he is challenged by I shouldn't say challenges because he didn't do this, but when when he comes to the city, everyone everyone is astounded by him. The the Romans and the Greek the pagan Greeks are astounded by his doctrine. All of the all of the Israelites who who are still you know who still keep the law were celebrating and they threw their clothes into the street and he he went into the temple and he chased the money changers out right which John John focuses more on that than Matthew and Mark but then afterwards it's it's mentioned that he's he's teaching in the temple and he's he's the the children are praising him and all these other things are happening he's challenged by the Pharisees and by the the temple elders and they ask him, by whose authority do you do these things, right? And and he 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 gets them back because they they think they've got him in a logical trap. He gets them by saying, "I'll answer you if you answer me." By by whose authority did John perform baptisms, heavens right. or earths, right? And and they can't they they realize they can't say heaven because if they say heaven, then one they they they. They would be admitting they were wrong because they they didn't really acknowledge John the Baptist, and also it would obviously be Christ's answer as well. Yahshua would just say, "Well, my authority is also from heaven," but they can't say from the earth either because everyone loved John, right. so they were afraid of the crowd if they said earth. So they said, "We don't know," and and Christ said, "Then I'm not going to tell you if you don't right. know." Right. So it, tell you, yeah. But you yeah, know what? That, yeah, you know what that, that is. That makes. I'm sorry. That, that exchange that you're explaining is even more profound when you realize, and this is in, um, Clifton found this in John Lightfoot's commentary on the Bible, where it's explained that in the Talmud, from the Talmud, the Jews themselves were baptizing new converts to Judaism. They would baptize them and then they would circumcise them. And there's no baptism of people or men in the Old Testament. There is none. It's not in the law. You won't find it. There's only a baptism of priests to cleanse the priests before they make the sacrifices. There's no baptism of people for conversion because there is no conversion in the Old Testament. But the Jews in the first century had worked out this ritual where they would find a proselyte and baptize them in a mikvah before they would circumcise them. And then they would make him an Israelite. So, once you understand the Jews were baptizing people, once you understand the Jews were baptizing people to convert them, then you know where the Catholic Church got it from, 
And then you know why the baptism of John is so significant and why that question of Christ concerning the authority of the baptism of John was so significant. It adds another level of meaning to that whole thing. And I, I, I just wanted to bring that up. The, that story because I think it was it was Joe who who explicitly mentioned that Christ was a different sort of prophet. Yahshua was a different sort of prophet because he's he's saying things, but he's not doing it on faith. He was actually there, right? The the Pharisees literally questioned him on whose authority do you do you do this, which is makes the exchange even funnier when you accept that Yahshua is literally Yahweh in the flesh, right? Right. Right, so absolutely. He had a sense of humor, for sure. He's such a smart ass a lot of the time. I don't, shouldn't say that. I should say he, he's very smart and he's humorous. Je- <sighs> you know, Jesus or Yahshua, whatever you'd like to call him, he, he was a bit of a smart ass. There's, there's some sarcasm in the New Testament if you read some of his experiences. All throughout with the people. scripture. All throughout the scripture is sarcasm, for real. And, and when I was studying, I wish I'd have wrote it down. I really do. But I didn't. There were many times when I was studying the Greek language that I had epiphanies that God must have had a sense of humor to make this word mean yeah. that thing or, or that word mean this thing. It, it's, and many times also studying the Septuagint or, or the Hebrew of the Old Testament text, I'm like, what the fuck? God must have a sense of humor. And, and I'll give you one example, right? And, I'll, and, and this is like an easy one for me to remember. I mean, there's probably hundreds that I saw over the years in my studies where I thought exactly like you did that God had a sense of humor, right? But the one example that I have is in Malachi chapter 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And Christ quoted that. But when Christ quoted that, it kind of was, he referred to that, and it referred to the sun, S-O-N, rather than the sun, S-U-N, and and that's a play on words that only works in English. It don't work in Greek, it don't work in Hebrew, it only works in English. And and that's something to me that was like a wow moment that this only works in English and it's perfect in English, right? So I'm trying to look at the passage in Matthew. Languages that don't even exist yet. Right, exactly. (laughs) He's making puns in a language that didn't exist yet. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. And it's amazing. And it's one of the things that just made me think twice when I got to that verse. Well, that's funny because, Bill, I don't know if it was that one, but I've noticed things like that before. But I never thought about, hey, English didn't exist then. You know, I'm reading this in English, but our language didn't even exist when these words were written. Right. And that, um, I thought that was an interesting 
point you brought up about the Jews baptizing and proselytizing, but I think this goes back to Matthew too, doesn't it? Jesus tell, uh, well, the scribes, whoever that they, you know, they go across the desert or whatever to right to make a proselyte and and make him a twice child of hell, twice hold the child of hell, right? Because they would get anybody they could. The the Jews of the first century and later and. Probably before that, this probably went back to the time of John Hyrcanus, when they started to circumcise the Edomites, right? That this, and, and that's yeah, 130 yeah. BC, they would travel far and wide to find proselytes and baptize them and circumcise them. And as John Lightfoot described it, when they emerged from the water of baptism, they were magically transformed into being a Jew. And that's where this damned Catholic Church got its baptism ritual from. They didn't get it from John, right? The baptism of John led an Israelite to repentance. The baptism of the Catholic Church magically makes whoever the object of the baptism is a Christian, right? Or a Catholic. That's the Jewish baptism. What is a two-week-old or a three-month-old, however age it is that they baptize these kids, what does a three-month-old baby have that conscious about sin to require a baptism to repentance? I've never understood that, but the Protestants do it too. It, like you said, it, that's what it reminded me of. You know, they, they'll take anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. Once you're baptized, oh, automatically you're saved. Right, but the Protestant baptism is just their way of trying to fix the broken Catholic baptism, and they just make it just as bad. It's just as bad. Yeah. I would would wager that the Protestants, they hold this sort of thing in a a way of, for example, oh, um, this is tradition, this is part of the church, this is part of the establishment of and we are going to follow this doctrine. This is why I think they do it. You know, I think it makes sense. The, the passage with the pun that I was talking about with Dasho is in Matthew chapter 5, 40, verse 45, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And when I read that, and then you go to Malachi and and it talks about the um the sun rising with healing in his wings you realize that they are actually puns that sun s u n is really sun s o n but that only works in english it don't work in greek or hebrew so i thought that was profound maybe i'm wrong about that but somehow i don't think so it's it's even more of a pun than that because the and again this this only makes sense in english it it wouldn't work in different languages but or i suppose it would work in a couple of other romantic languages but in in the occult one of the things that that is always being pursued is the idea of of hermes the concept of of the sun as being a a source of light and and healing and life 
And I suppose this is debatable. This might even start an argument. That's not my intention. But depending upon how much faith you have in, in Heinrich Himmler as a person, right, how good of a person you think he was, one of the symbols that was used, you could probably guess which. The Black Sun. Doesn't have, rod. Yeah, doesn't have a lot of a lot of of history behind it. It's a no. very odd symbol to to just be pulled out of nothing. It's it's of course it's a solar array, right? And those have been used by just about everybody. But the Black Sun is pretty unique to that one castle. It doesn't really exist anywhere else. And a lot of people have have questioned what it was, what it meant, what was the purpose behind it. But a black sun is is a sun that gives off light that no one can see, right? So, in a way, the the last crusade, if you would, right the 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 attempt by by the Axis to save Christianity in Europe, one of their symbols was in fact explicitly a Christian symbol, but it may not have even been intended to be that, right? It it comes full circle in a very strange way. Yeah, you know. In a podcast that you probably didn't hear, it was long ago, Sven and I talked about the Black Sun, and Sven's contention was it was a Christian symbol, and I sort of agreed with him. And I've even, get you know that song, Black Hole Sun, by Soundgarden? I've actually played that on my bumper music for that reason. Black hole sun, won't you come and wash away the rain? And even though Chris Cornell was half a fucking Jew, and, and I didn't know it when I started playing it, but he was, that, that song is like, in, in that symbology, it's kind of appropriate, I think, to this day. That the um, it, it, is, it is a very strange coincidence that it keeps coming up over and over again. Well, well, the same symbolism, and I pointed this out quite often, right? <clears throat> it's found in Genesis chapter three, verse twenty-four. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And Judeo-Christians all think that that's to prevent man from returning to the tree of life. But I would say that that is to make sure that man has a path back to the tree of life. Because the next time we see the cherubims, they're sitting atop the Ark of the Covenant guarding the law. So keeping the law is keeping the path to the tree of life. And the cherubims are set on the east of the garden. Because that is where the sun rises. Period. And they're guarding the way to the tree of life. Right. Which Isn't there something to do like... The tree of life is Christ. So... Wasn't there something about, you know, the the black sun in symbology, like uh, Christ being the invisible light? For example, uh, no, there are that, some that say... That's what we're saying, is is he's called the light that no man can see. Ah, right. Because there's a lot of circles that say, for example, oh, Lucifer is the fake light. While, for uh, like, uh, let's just say he shows off, quote-unquote, in their idea. While Christ doesn't need to, quote-unquote, show off, he is the light anyway, even if it's not visible. In the ancient world, light was basically an allegory for law 
and judgment and the way that a man should walk. So all of the ancient kings, the pharaohs of Egypt, the king of Babylon, the kings of the Hittites, in their own literature, thought themselves to be the sun on earth. That they were the light givers and the gods of their people, their nation. So, basically in Isaiah, Yahweh is mocking the king of Babylon by calling him Lucifer. As if he thinks he is the light bearer, when in fact, Yahweh God is the only legitimate light bearer. That religion has um, persisted today where the government thinks it's the light of the world and, you know, you have all these celebrities following the Luciferian religion, the true, who right. they claim is the true light, and they're right. all confused and they're caught up in that Jewish crap. Well, it doesn't it have to be like Ezekiel? Uh, didn't he say, in mocking tone, uh, the, the king saying, oh, okay, Lucifer, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm sorry, Walt. Sorry, I meant to say in Ezekiel, didn't he say something uh, in regards to the king of Babylon as, as in, oh, yeah, whatever, Lucifer, whatever you say, yeah. That's Isaiah 14. Do you mean the prince of Tyre? Are you talking about the prince of Tyre? No, that's and Isaiah the, chapter think, 14 no. in reference to the king of Babylon. That's the only place Lucifer is mentioned in Scripture. Now, I know what you're saying about the king of Tyre in Ezekiel. That's a separate deal. That's a separate oracle. I'm sorry. That's totally separate. No mention of Lucifer there. But the kings of Tyre and, and all ancient kings, they had that same attitude. Look at um, Acts chapter 12 in Herod Agrippa 1 when he wore this magnificent suit of silver and spoke and the people said that it was the voice of a god, right? It's the same idea. I, I mean, men who become kings all have that shit go to their head and think that they're gods. And, and the Roman emperors and the, the Egyptian pharaohs and the kings of the Hittites, they all did the same thing. They got to the point where they were so great that they thought they were gods and that they were the light bearers to man. And that word Lucifer simply means light bearer. It's well, not a reference to Satan. It's not a reference to the devil. It's only a reference to a man who is king that thinks he's a god and a guide of the people. And thinks he's the sun on earth. And and the Egyptian pharaohs and the Hittite kings actually called themselves the sun on earth. I'm not saying this applies to ancient times, but isn't what that what the Jews do to the leaders today? Make them think they're like gods and fill their head up so... The Jews yeah, know, men do still do that today. Yes, they still do that today. Listen to half the words that come out of Washington, D.C., and they are so arrogant. They are so arrogant. You just pray that Yahweh strikes them dead tomorrow. But when 
Joe Biden thinks he could dictate what you think, which is what he's he's actually said that. He, oh, that yeah. is so yeah. arrogant. It's like, what does he think he's God? Well, if he said that, yeah, he thinks he's God. And like, dude, he's got to be the most complete dumbass we've ever had as a president, and he thinks he's God. Right. <laughs> Just because if, he if holds look, that position. If you look at the well, world, wasn't today, the, the government oh, it Nimrod. To God, it knows all your sins because it's spying on you all the time, and you have to repent before the government for your sins because you donated to that convoy or you donated to some, mar- you know, some Christian organization that's against gay marriage, right? So the government today, it knows all your sins. It can create plagues out of nothing. Just like God in the Old Testament, he created a plague. The government today has created a plague. It claims the right to rewrite your DNA and things like that. So a lot of the things the government does today shows that it's pretending to be a god it thinks it can dictate your thoughts it's got plans to like broadcast you know we've all heard the 5g conspiracy theories and stuff like that it thinks it's a god it's monitoring us it knows all our sins it um dictates the law to us just like a god yeah you know absolute power corrupts absolutely it's a false god though and it just fits Yeah, yeah Just, yeah, I was just gonna say, Justin Trudeau, he, he goes on and he's like, oh, these people have unacceptable views. And I'm just like, what gives you the right to declare what view is acceptable and which view is unacceptable? Exactly. Like, only God can declare that. Exactly. Not only that, noble, if you, if you see the people that are against the convoy, sorry to interrupt someone, it's just that hey, I really need to explain. Uh, those who are against the convoy, they're willing to the dogs to euthanize them. So, you know, how fucking cruel, not only cruel, but how vindictive you have to be to do some sort of thing. Oh, I'm going to adopt the dog just to kill it later. Look how vindictive I am. I'm a good person. No, you aren't. The government, oh. by asserting the right to mandate vaccines, the government is claiming that it owns your body. But there's another claimant to the body of Israel, and that's Yahweh God. God actually owns the white race, whereas the government today claims that it owns the white race. And, you know, are they going to struggle for the destiny of the white race? I I hope they do because the government's going to fail because it doesn't own the white race. Yahweh God actually owns the white race. So there's another way that the government pretends to be a God. Exactly. And I was going to say, and what you just said just ties in with it, this all goes to show... I mean, today and not, and sure, the past too, that the protocols are real. I mean, this is what they're trying to do. Exactly. That's another series I'd love to get back to, but I just haven't had the time. I'm sorry. The protocols of Satan. I should be having a field day with them these last couple of years. Noble has a very good point. Yeah. None of these leaders really believe in democracy. If they believed in democracy, then every idea is acceptable, every idea is valid, and every idea will succeed or fail based on its, it, its legitimacy 
and and whether or not it's a good idea, it's you have an idea that it doesn't matter if any individual finds it unacceptable, you should be allowed to publish that idea and people accept it or reject it, period. And it's valid or it's not in the eyes of the majority of people, so-called. So if it's valid in the eyes of the majority of people, your idea prevails. And if it's not, it's not, and it fails. So not wanting certain ideas to enter the general marketplace of ideas, you are not believing in democracy. You're denying it and you're becoming a tyrant. That's tyranny. So these so-called leaders, they betray themselves as tyrants in very subtle ways, but that's actually a pretty explicit betrayal that he's betrayed himself as a tyrant. Saying that in a democracy that any idea is not valid or not acceptable, you're a tyrant. You're not a Democrat. So all I'm saying is that we all know it, that all of these world leaders are really hypocrites, that only ideas that fall within their own opinion of what's acceptable and what's not are acceptable. And that's not democracy. So they don't even, that, that, this whole, what I'm saying is that this whole democracy thing has been a deception from the beginning. When they could judge for themselves what ideas or, or values are not acceptable, then that's not democracy, that's tyranny. It's tyranny. And Trudeau oh. has exposed himself as a tyrant. Okay, a million Canadian truckers go to Ottawa, and Pierre Trudeau informs them, sorry guys, a million isn't enough, there's 30 million Canadians, and you don't have a majority, so just go home. How about that? No, he can't do that, he's hiding from the million. Well, right. uh, that's uh, also a prophecy, that the wicked will flee when they have no cause. Well, uh, Hitler was the true Democrat. If there was a trouble, I'm sure he would show up and say, "But what needs to be done?" Adolf Hitler yeah. never claimed to be a Democrat, right? Well, and it, isn't that one of their goals, though, is to make freedom or whatever our ideals are just an idea that's too far out of reach, and then somebody comes and tries to make it a reality, and they want to put a stop to it. Right, exactly. Yeah. And in a pure democracy, every idea needs to be heard. Every idea deserves to be heard. Now, we know that democracy is a farce. I understand that democracy is bullshit. It's always been bullshit from the beginning because most people are idiots and just don't have the tools to determine what's a valid idea and what's not, that white men should live and have always lived by meritocracy. So democracy is bullshit. I'm not trying to uphold democracy. But democracy is their paradigm, and I'm just saying that they don't believe their own paradigm. 
Because if they believed their own paradigm, then they would never try to shut down Joe Rogan or Chris Degenia or any person that thinks that they have something worthwhile to say. They would never try to shut them down if they believed their own paradigm. But they don't believe it. No, it's no. it's a scam. It's one of the oldest scams they run. Like the exactly. whole reason that they bothered to take over the Masons and create the Freemasons is because they wanted Shabos Goyim in a country that could advocate for their interests after they'd already been kicked out of a country. That's how they kept getting back in. They were they've been expelled from 109 different countries. That's not the number of expulsions. They've been expelled over 500 times. So the question is, how do they keep getting back in? Well, people let them back in, right? They they always advocate for equality and for everyone to be heard and everyone to have a fair voice until they have control and until they have control. Exactly until they have. And then you need to shut up or we'll kill you. Well, when did they get that though? Because I mean, it had to be through the press and everything, right? Because when did people become so dumb that they they started believing this bullshit? Yeah, you know, if I had to pick a date. I'd probably say the 60s, but yeah, the, the process started the 50 years before is, that. is a big part of it because right. when, when Kennedy was shot, there was a national poll that asked people – when the FBI concluded their investigation and said that it was it was uh, it was a lone gunman and that there was no ulterior motive, it was just a random act of a crazy person. There was a national poll that went out in the newspapers uh, asking people, "Do you believe that explanation, or do you think it's a conspiracy and they're hiding something from you?" And about not quite eighty percent, but something like seventy-eight percent of the people who responded said the FBI is lying and it's a conspiracy, right? Yeah. And I can't prove this, but I, I think it's it's pretty reasonable to believe that that scared the crap out of them. They didn't expect that many people to think they were full of shit. So they've they've really been ramping up the propaganda ever since. Like it's, well, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think this, um, I think this whole COVID thing is kind of like what you're saying, Dasho. Like they thought they could get away with more than they could. Now they're still trying to force some shit. But they've kind of backed off a little bit, you know. Slowly and slowly, they've kind of backed off. I didn't think they would thought that this many people would take a stand, would be willing to lose their job for their beliefs, and to not let somebody else dictate what they're going to do with their lives. It's a psych war, isn't it? And you know yeah. the numbers they give us. Like, who knows what we can believe with what they've given us. They've built this whole world around us that's just lies, and the only truth <laughs> I can see is in the Bible. That's why I believe in the Bible. Yeah. But like when you when you get those vaccination numbers, and they tell you ninety percent of your you know fellow countrymen are vaccinated, and people watch it and they're like, "Oh shit, I'm not vaccinated." Whereas in reality, it's probably like fifty percent, maybe. Right. You know. And Joe, Joe, I mean, I, I'll freely admit I'm totally, well, not totally, but very ignorant on current events and stuff because I just can't listen to the bullshit and Jew propaganda. I I don't want to get tied up into it. I see everybody at work or, you know, like that's all they care about. They, they're li- If it's not one thing, it's another. They're just consumed with it. And that's, I mean, you know, we, you could call that idolatry. That's their idol. They're, I mean, they're, they're consumed with finances or the conspiracies going on with COVID-19, whatever it is, you know, 
and I'm not, and I, I, I might be too unaware <laughs> in some aspects. But it doesn't matter though, does it, bro? I mean, you, all you uh, really need to know as a man is like, doesn't it say in Ecclesiastes, the whole duty of a man is to know Yahweh's law and keep it, right? You know, to paraphrase, right? We don't need to know any more than that. We don't need to know all the bullshit that's going on. So it doesn't matter as far as I'm concerned that you don't know the yeah, there, need to know yeah. about it. That, that's what, that's kind of the decision I came to a while back. I'm like, you know, cause this COVID thing got, started i was i wasn't as into it as most people but i was like you know trying to be informed but yeah you're right we all we need to do is follow god's law yahweh's law and trust in him well essentially as it says in the bible uh if we're not um as, uh how, how should i say everything else if we're t if you're not uh, studying his word is considered vanity even even if we're going to say oh but i want to eat some food I think Joe even used that example once. It's it's vanity. If it's not studying the word, it's vanity. So yeah, if we take it to the logical... Yeah, that's because it's like the Bible verse you're referring to says something like, everything is vanity except the word of God. The flower fades, the something... You know, I might be combining two verses here, but the flower fades, something, something, the grass withers, but the word of God is forever. So only the word of God isn't vanity. Right. Yeah, of course. Is. Of All course, that doesn't. Vanity too, and the will of God, as He said, it will prevail. Sorry, well, go on. No, of course. What I was going to say is, of course, if we take this to the logical conclusion, oh, I shouldn't eat, I shouldn't breathe, I shouldn't, because that's vanity. No, that's not the the idea. The idea is, if you aspire to something, that's eventually vanity. If it's not contributing to the work, uh, the work of God, you know, it's vanity. That's what it means. We live to build the kingdom. Yes, of course. We are going to be the architects. It's not going to be, for example, oh, uh, so this means I am a nuisance to God. No, you're here to do his bidding. Otherwise, he wouldn't put us here. And to do his building, that goes, and to do his bidding, that goes back to the whole democracy topic. Because so many Judeo-Christians worship the idea of democracy, but they don't realize that as Christians, our freedom has limits. Our freedom has boundaries because we are all servants of Christ. Right, the boundaries of the yeah, law. The law defines the boundaries. Christ said, keep my commandments. And, and the commandments, everything that Israel was told to do required priests and, and was things related to the image or deportment of the nation that were done away with with the end of the priesthood and the deportations by the Assyrians and the and and the Babylonians, those things were lost. That they would have no more priests or ephah or or these things or those things. Well everything that says thou shalt not they're the commandments of God. You better not do them. And thou shalt not lie with the man, and, and the woman that lies with the beast shall die, and all those things, those commandments in the law that are moral commandments, those are the bounds of Christian liberty. You can't do anything wrong if you don't transgress those. And thou shalt not murder, those, thou shalt not... Thou shalt not do the church do or allow or 
at least turn a blind eye to now. Yes. Now well, they that they're compelled by the government. They're compelled by their compacts with the government, but they will even deny that arseno coites is homosexuality. When arseno coites, if you read every ancient Greek author, arseno coites described what we call homosexuality, and in the New Testament, Paul mentions arseno coites and and prohibits it two or three times, that's homosexuality. There's no way around that when you read all the Greek classics. But they will even deny that and try to claim that it means something different than what it means. Yeah. It, it's incredible it's like the length that the churches go to twist the scripture to try to make it comply with the government. It's a spiritual homosexuality bill. Whatever the hell does that mean? Well, today yeah. you have the right to cut your dick off, but you don't have the right to say <laughs> what you won't, you know? Right. So we've got all these new freedoms, but we don't have any of the true Christian freedoms, do we? No. And, I, I mean, maybe I am give too many people the benefit of the doubt, but how many of these so-called pastors whatever are doing this out of just pure ignorance because you know they believe the their judeo-christian lies that they were taught in you know um college whatever um seminary um or and or how many of them truly just don't care and have sold their soul you know they're just totally fucking sold out yeah well it's getting more difficult to believe that they're just ignorant isn't it i mean when you've got Things like homosexuality being promoted in the church, female preachers, and all the rest, trans baptism or whatever they call it, all that stuff. No, it's but I, like it's definitely harder. I'm just, I, I guess, I try to give people the people benefit, benefit of the doubt. doubt. Yeah, but yeah, definitely, you were not allowed to cut your dick off in ancient Israel. So there was no chance there was some, you know, population of eunuchs around that God was saying, you eunuchs, come back to me. You know, yeah, right. you could not lawfully cut your dick off in ancient Israel. That's that's just the way it is. Whereas today, oh, you, you can. You can do that. You know what you reminded me of, uh, Joe? The fact that, you know, what the Jews think, right, of God. And one of the things they, uh, I think they argue, I, I don't know if it's in the Talmud, but basically they, they're arguing with God. And then God is defeated by saying, my own people abandoned me. Yeah, right. Yeah, poor old God couldn't get his will enacted in the world, so he had to abandon the Jews and choose another people, and hopefully this time he can get his will to prevail. Poor old God. You know, it's such a ridiculous... Well, well the second time he went for any other people, whoever would listen to him. So, so God gets angry at Israel for committing adultery, and to get back to Israel, God commits adultery. Yeah, he was humiliated by by the Jews, and then he said, "Oh, poor uh, Negroes or whatever, please yeah. listen to me." <laughs> it's all the projection of human frailness onto God. It's projection. It's like they see themselves as better than God or something. It's like 
when vegans say, oh, it's wrong to eat meat, and you're like, well, didn't Jesus give his um, disciples a meal of fish? Are you better than Jesus? Are you more more righteous than Jesus? And lamb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And lamb is red meat, isn't it? And what about the fatted calf? How about that? Yeah. And and the fatted yeah, calf was probably grain fed, right? I mean, they knew in ancient times <laughs> that a fatted calf was a lot better than a grass fed calf. So you you fattened one up and saved it for a special occasion when you had the ability to do that. And that fatted calf would be a lot more tasty than a grain fed calf. You would keep one calf and and feed it grain. Rather than just the grass-fed calf, which was a lot thinner and its meat a lot leaner. So they knew what they were talking about in the ancient world. I don't know if you ever ate grass-fed beef. I ate grass-fed beef. Well, it's a lot tougher than the regular beef that you buy in a supermarket that's been finished with grain or fed grain that has more marbleized meat. It's a lot fatter and more tender. So grass-fed beef is a lot tougher. So this fatted calf is grain-fed, a grain-fed calf that's going to be a lot more tender, and God wants us to eat it. Fish, fatted calves, we should be meat eaters and enjoy it. And lambs at Passover, right? So there you have it. It's like all these people do think they're more righteous than God because they condemn God for racism. They condemn God for being mean in the Old Testament. You know, things like that. They, I think I saw a gay part. You know, someone posted this to chat. <laughs> I do not frequently watch this gay pastor. But he said something like, Jesus repented of his racism with the Canaanite woman. So Jesus was initially racist against the Canaanite woman. Then he repented of his racism and accepted her. So these people actually believe they can condemn and convict God. I mean, how arrogant is that, right? Yeah, Joe, Joe, it's essentially like this. You know, Jesus needs to get in with the times. Whose does he think he is? <laughs> <laughs> he needs to get with the times, yeah. So much for Christ never sinning. I guess, huh? They, they go real far. You, you'll watch these Jews, right? They'll, they'll write an essay on how Jesus was the first, uh, actually, I don't want to say it. But yeah, the Jews will blasphemy Christ all the time and condemn yeah. him and convict him. Well, Joe, in regards to a couple of things you said, like, I, I walked, I stepped away for a minute, but I could still hear. I think you guys were talking about how, like, you know, so-called the Jews are the God-chosen people and, Christ came because, oh, well, they weren't good enough, and all of a sudden we're going to give everybody else a chance, and then hopefully they'll be good enough. I mean, I, I had a kind of a argument, debate, whatever, with my parents just last weekend, and I said something about that, and then your whole Jesus repenting of being racist, you know, I got I got told I was, I, I seemed, I, I was very hateful <laughs> because cause I wasn't a uh, accepting of everyone I, I didn't have a humanistic universalistic viewpoint anymore yeah because you love god more than you love exactly this world sort of thing and more in all the secular bullshit that everybody wants to accept 
Well, if if we're gonna take things to the conclusion, um, doom. You got to remember that, you know, John the Baptist, he said race of vipers. He didn't say generation of vipers. So he was being a racist. I know. And that's what I, I don't know if that particular scripture came up. But, I mean, I, I had plenty of scriptures to back up my points. But, you know, as I talked to my uncle uh, after this, you know, I, all they have to hang on is like John three sixteen, the few, you know, universalist sounding um, scriptures that all Judeo Christianity hangs on. They they don't have anything else to go on. I'm amazed they didn't memorize Coloss- uh, Colossians three eleven and uh, Galatians three twenty eight. You know, neither Jew nor Greek. Yeah, well, well I didn't when... bring that up, but I just I, I heard every it says every man. <laughs> I tried to explain, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's to like me, it's a like, brick wall. They don't want to hear. When you take racism out of the world, you're taking all the love out of the world because you can't even love your own people. Then and so then Christ prophesied, you know, in that day the hearts of many will turn cold. You know, I cry, shed a little bit of a tear because all the racism's gone out of the world and there's no love left in the world. Well, and it was so funny, and it, obviously this happened afterwards, and um, I was listening to, um, I think it was like explaining to Seedline, like 24 or something like that, and something that Bill said. It was, I mean, obviously we know, we've heard it, but it just kind of reinforced, like... Um, some of the thoughts I was having after this. Um, but it was like, how can you deal with the word seed in the Bible, especially the old Testament? Even Paul brings it up How and, and think that it means everyone after that. I mean, when he's told that Abraham's seed, Jacob's seed, that, that these are God's chosen people. This is Israel. Not as Clifton said, it's not spiritual sperm, you know, like, I, I, don't know how, I don't know how these Judeo-Christians can rationalize those words. It's like he murdered him spiritually. He had sex yeah, yeah. with her spiritually. Exactly. His seed is... It's, it's so I don't know, weird. Yeah. And to clarify, I guess I don't know how they rationalize those words with their beliefs is what I meant. They no, just don't believe the, they don't believe the words <laughs> that they spiritualize them like Joe said they make them yeah. mean something different than what they actually mean father don't mean father seed don't mean seed it if Christ told his enemies that they were not of his father that meant that they were following a different philosophy it didn't really mean that they were of another race or that they were bastards or whatever that right. they pervert and and that's where gnosticism more than anywhere else or or platonism had crept middle platonism had crept into christianity middle platonism gnosticism built on middle platonism and that was a gnostic ideas and those middle platonist ideas were adopted by many early Christian writers to one degree or another, even if they rejected the principles of Gnosticism, they accepted the methods and concepts, many of them, and 
try to understand this word seed as meaning something other than offspring. Or father means something other than your literal genetic father. And they perverted the meanings of all these terms in the scriptures that have a plain meaning to make it anything but racial. And it so ends up even meaning essentially nothing. It it becomes redundant because you no, know, it's like then who does because everyone's gonna be forgiven in the end, everyone's gonna go to heaven in the end, so you know, what's the point in anything? What's well, the point in even your message? Like what is this message? I mean that everyone's gonna go to heaven and be what I might as well just do whatever because it doesn't That's why mean you can't anything. believe that and you have to make yeah. up a hell. Right. Yeah. In in spite of the fact that Paul of Tarsus identified Israel as 12 tribes, in spite of the fact that the Apostle James identified Israel as 12 tribes, they identify Israel as a collection of believers from any tribe. Yeah. We're all somehow uh, spiritually part of one of those tribes, right? Right. They've totally corrupted and perverted all the meanings of all the words that relate to race, lineage, genetics, whatever. They've corrupted. They refuse to believe the words as they were actually used by ancient Greek writers. Just because those words are in the Bible, they mean something different than all the other Greek writings. It's crazy. Even Israel didn't mean Israel, right? When Christ said, I came for the lost sheep of Israel only, he didn't mean Israel. Yeah, I brought that verse up. Spiritual Israel. Yeah, he meant anybody that would believe him. That could mean anything. Because the the early Roman Catholic Church claimed to be the new Israel. So Israel is anybody that believes rather than literal physical descendants. They claimed a lot more than that, too. Right. They did. Doom, um, just an interesting thing. Uh, I think Bill really added up all the ideas much better than I could ever do. But uh, if you would like to, you know ask the questions to them, you know, you could always ask, for example, if you were to adopt a child, would this child be considered your seed? Would you ever consider this child, you know, a spiritual seed? I don't think the person would say, yeah, I could I could send her. No. Yeah, it's like, seed only means something different when it's convenient. But right. if it's not convenient, then it means whatever I want. <laughs> right, right. It's hypocritical. It's hypocritical is what I'm getting. Yeah. It's also very out of place. I, I feel the need to point that out. I, that may be obvious, but to some people it may not be. It's it's the only time in the Bible, allegedly, if you accept their interpretation of it, where anything like that is even mentioned at all. There's no mention of spiritual nations. There's no mention of spiritual tribes. There's there's no mention of of a. There's not even a mention of a spiritual salvation, because in the Bible, Yahshua didn't come back as a ghost, right? It's a physical resurrection. He he right. pointed to his to his wrists and said, "Touch the holes. It's me. I'm not a vision. I'm here." 
right? There's yeah. there's no reference anywhere. There there wasn't a spiritual destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot's wife didn't turn into a spiritual pillar of salt yeah. either, right? It's all nonsense. Just this one thing is spiritual, right? Everything else is is literal except that. No, I agree. And, with you. It, no. it makes perfect. I mean, they want to spiritualize what they want to spiritualize, but then they don't and. Like you said, it's going to be a physical um, resurrection. And I think Bill's talked about this, maybe even recently, but I was just reading Job, and Job even says it's going to be a physical resurrection. Right. Or implies it. Yeah. Oh, he says it pretty explicitly. Yeah, I don't know about that passage, but. Yeah. Nobody said, I tell you what I'm going to do before I do it. And there's not a single prophecy of any spiritual Israel anywhere. No, yeah, yeah. It's never... He never says it's spiritual. That's what I don't get. But like I said, I mean, just like lies about World War II, lies about anything else, uh, the War of Northern Aggression, people don't... They want to keep believing the bullshit they've always been told. And to be no, honest, no. when someone says spiritual, I just inter- what does that actually mean? To me, it means feelings. It means I identify my feelings. Right, right. Yeah, and it doesn't actually mean anything other than my feelings. So when they say spiritual, I just mean, oh, you mean your feelings? I feel you spiritual. Know. Oh, you mean you, 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 you feel like you're under the law or, you know, cause spiritual in the Bible is related to the law. The law is spiritual. So what are they talking about when they say spiritual Israel? What are, what exactly are they talking about? They're not talking about spiritual, a, a biblical definition of what is the spirit, the spirit within a man, the spirit that God created in man, the law that was given to man, the life that's in man. What they mean by spiritual is my feelings, it seems to me. <laughs> you know, Joe, you could apply also that this is could, could be a, seen as an escapism. For example, oh, uh, it's convenient for me to say that I am under the law, spiritual. But when I don't want to feel like that, oh, oh here's a cop-out. Here's a cop-out. I'm not anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it's all, it is very much feelings-based when they, when they decide they want to follow the law. You know, God's just here, just exists to empower us as Christians and make it, lift us up and make us feel good in our sins and we shouldn't be ashamed of anything. And it, it's actually like communism and, individualism it's not christianity in in romans chapter 5 paul of tarsus very clearly told the romans that they were of the nations that were promised to be descended from abraham in first corinthians chapter 10 paul of tarsus very explicitly told the corinthians that their ancestors were in the cloud and in the water in the sea with moses that they were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. In Galatians chapters 3 and 4, Paul very clearly explained to the Galatians that they were under the law and they were redeemed because they were under the law. Everywhere Paul of Tarsus wrote, he spoke about reconciliation, the fact that they were once Israelites who were under the law, who became alienated from God, and were being reconciled to God in Christ, Paul of Tarsus was teaching the other end of everything that the prophets taught from Isaiah through Zechariah. So, 
in the first century, this true form of Christianity was persecuted out of existence. And in the second and third centuries, they, the Christians who survived ceded all these points to the Jews and started teaching replacement theology because they didn't understand the history that Paul of Tarsus understood. And to this very day, they still didn't understand that history. Only Christian identity understands that history. We are, we, I don't mean just we at Christogenia, but we as a wider Christian identity community understands that history and we are not 0.1% of all Christians. That's just the way it is. So it's our task because we have that Elijah ministry to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. That's our ministry. That's the true ministry of the gospel of Christ. That's our task. And we have to just keep plugging away because eventually it's going to pay off. It's going to come to fruition where at least many Christians understand it. Maybe most. And that's a point that I make all the time. The early Christians, they were persecuted. Most most of them were martyred. Well, you know, the apostles at least. Most of them were martyred. Judeo-Christians aren't persecuted today. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I always ask. What, what, What Christians being persecuted? No, they love fags. They love niggers. Why would they be persecuted? Right, exactly. And we're the ones that perse- are persecuted. And, you know, um, I-, I gave my parents a, uh, Robert Balakias' book, Uncovering the Mysteries, you know, asking them if they read it. And of course my dad said, well, yeah, I, I looked up some of these people and they're, they're all white supremacists. I'm like, well, of course the Jews are going to say that. <laughs> you know, like, what, what do you expect? You know, at best, I would say that the the Christians, you know, the Christians of Judeos, they at best they are forced to to be seen as you know lukewarm. Oh, if you're a Christian, you must be lukewarm and tolerant. You know, you must be allowed to say it. You must be the most inoffensive, you know, right. skinny. Yeah, but I'm not inoffensive. No way, I can't do that. And I don't think any of the apostles were either. But I'm um, Bill. You know, there's this guy in the forum called So Many Johns and his Edemic Christianity, which means he he doesn't seem to believe that the Romans, the Galatians, and the other um, people that Paul visited were actually Israelites. Oh, wow, I haven't caught that yet. Yeah, he's mentioned it in the forums again, and I can't believe he's still an Edemic Christian. I wonder, you know, has this guy read anything from... Paul, you know, the epistles of Paul, does he realize that all the people that Paul went to were Israelites? Like, why would you believe some dumb, there's this dumb guy who started Edemic Christianity, which was just a, it was just an op to kind of divide CI, and he claimed that no white people are Israelites, they're mostly Adamites. You know, and you could pay him $10 and he'd let you claim to be an Adamite, but he wouldn't let you claim to be an Israelite if you gave him the 10 bucks. And this was a Telegram group. And there's this guy, so many Johns on the forum, and he still, he still like believes this bull crap about how the Roman CFT also teaches that the Romans weren't Israelites. Like there's a lot of CI light groups who teach against Paul. You know, Paul's hard to understand. 
they don't seem to understand Paul. They tell people the Romans weren't Israel, the Galatians weren't Israel, and I, I just think, you know, have these people ever read Paul? Have the Edemic? How I'm, could I'm hoping... Paul tell the Romans that Christ came for the confirmation of the promises to the fathers, or that they had the truth of God and turned it into a lie, or or a hundred other things he told them that only pertain to Israelites? We You're brethren like... down through Isaac are. Uh, the children of promise. Who did he, who Paul say that to? Right. Was that the Romans? We brethren down yeah, to right. Isaac are the children of promise. And I just like I said, there's a hundred other things he said to. Joe, and I agree with you. Paul can be hard to read, and I don't know if Bill can attest to this probably better. Because at least in English, there's a, a bunch of what seems to <laughs> run on sentences. The, they go on forever. I don't know if it's like that in the Greek, Bill, or... Yeah, yeah, you know, I really fucked up. I didn't fuck up. It's just the direction my life took me, right? When I started to learn Greek and I thought I was going to translate the New Testament, I started with Paul, right? So I started with Paul because a good friend of mine, Ralph Daigle, that was in prison with me for two years, and he was CI for like, 30 years, and he was a co-pastor with Jim Wickstrom, he started getting into Paul bashing, and I knew instinctually that Paul bashing was wrong, and I wanted to defend Paul, so I wanted to learn Greek, this is 1998, right? I wanted to learn Greek so that I could figure out exactly what Paul said, and defend Paul, because I thought he was worthy of defending. And that's how I started my, my, my whole trek into Greek and eventually translating the Christoginian New Testament. That was the original impetus for it. That's just the way it works. Yahweh God works in strange ways. Well, that's what happened. So I started to study Greek and I spent two or three years and I translated Paul and translated it again realizing I made a lot of mistakes so so I come up with my final translation of Paul and then I decide well maybe I should translate Luke and after Luke it was Matthew and Mark and when I'm translating Luke and Matthew and Mark I'm realizing how much easier their language is than Paul's and how much easier it was to understand them and how much more directly they spoke. Yeah. So, yeah, Paul is very difficult to translate and very difficult to understand. You really have to have a real good grip on the whole rest of the Bible to translate Paul and to understand Paul. Well, I started with Paul, so I really fucked up. <laughs> so is, is that partly because, I mean, not saying that, like, Luke wasn't learned, but that Paul was so much more learned than some of these? Like, classically learned, I guess you would... Yeah, I think that the biggest part of it is not the language, but the subject material. Luke, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, all these men did was speak in very simple terms, explaining what they saw. But Paul is Paul is explaining difficult concepts from the Old Testament and the Gospel of Christ, and and rectifying them, correlating them, and trying to explain them in his own language. 
so that people understood them, so that you really have to have a good grip on all the rest of Scripture before you can translate Paul. It is difficult to understand. But once you see it, it's once you understand the history and, and the Old Testament prophecy, Paul is not difficult to understand. Just accept them for what he says. Makes sense to me. I That's think the way Paul I see is, it. A, is a very slandered person. Yeah, Paul. Well, when slandered. I first read Paul, you know, uh, he, his ideas are very complicated. Some of them are very complex ideas. And I ended up thinking this, you know, Paul is a very smart man. And people slander him as dumb and, you know, a liar and stuff. But he definitely, in my eyes, he was a very smart man, the way he put things together and explained them. Yeah, Paul was very smart. Paul was, Paul was brilliant, and he was true. And if people don't understand Paul, it's because they have some kind of agenda that they don't like something he said, like that flatterous clown that we started this evening's conversation with. I would I would wager that perhaps Paul's vocabulary was very extensive, you know, akin to, let's just say, a teacher of a college uh, on a university, right? And perhaps yeah, it could it be was. challenging. The, the, the style of First Peter is a little challenging in Greek. And the style of Jude, yeah, that might be challenging. But Paul was very challenging because of his range of vocabulary. That's true. And his method of speaking. His method of writing. Yeah, he was a great communicator. And he had a poetic way of, of writing as well, I think. But Paul's epistles may have been written by the 14 epistles, may have been written by a dozen different people who had yeah, license right. in their own wording. <coughs> hey, knowable. What, did Sylvanius write for Paul? Was that his name? I think several people wrote for Paul, yes. Probably as many as 10 or 12 people wrote for Paul. Wow. There's a noticeable um, difference when Sylvanius is writing for Paul and then when Paul's writing for himself and he he can barely see. (laughs) He can barely write because his eyesight's so bad. Right. And he admits that in several of his epistles, but Romans was written by Tertius and Galatians, we don't know who wrote it because Paul said, I, Paul, am writing this salutation in my own hand, right? So somebody else wrote the rest of the epistle, but Paul just wrote the last couple of verses. And and that's all because of his thorn in the flesh, which was, and I know Judeo-Christians argue over this a lot, but they're all fucking idiots. His thorn in the flesh was his bad eyesight from his experience on the road to Damascus. His eyes were burned and caused him to have bad eyesight. That was his thorn in the flesh. He had no other thorn in the flesh. It's all Judeo-Christian conjecture. So he wrote in Galatians, do you see how in such large letters I write in my own hand? Because he couldn't see very well, he wrote in large letters or larger than normal. 
I don't know how they can construe that any other way that that's not as thorn in the flesh. Because they're all faggots and they're wishing that Dick was his thorn in the flesh. And that's the truth. They're all perverts, so they want to make Paul a pervert in their image. I've seen that. Exactly. Well, that's that's almost like, you know, for example, the sort of people that would say, oh, but I have Paul's table talks. (laughs) Yeah, Paul's table talks, right. Just like Hitler's table talks pervert everything Hitler ever said. Right. Hey, Bill, you know um, when Christ re- is resurrected and he appears to the woman and he says to her, don't touch me, and then later he appears to Thomas and Thomas is allowed to touch him, you only believe in one ascension, right? So between Thomas and between Mary, Christ would have had to present himself to God I'm just wondering, in your opinion, how did Christ actually present himself to God? Because he, he only ascended one time to God, Yahweh. So I, he must I don't believe in himself. only one ascension. That There were oh, several... That There was a period of time between those appearances, his time at the monument, and his ascension in the eyes of the apostles... If you understand the way the lamb was sacrificed, that it had to be like ritually clean when it was presented to God and burned on the altar, that that he had to be unsoiled ritually in order to present himself to God, that yeah, I think that indicates that there was more than one ascension. But we only hear of one ascension. Where was he for for days and weeks before he appeared to the the apostles in Galilee? We don't know. There's only one recorded ascension. So I just think that that is that event in that's recorded. I think in the Gospel of John is it that. Christ couldn't I didn't be check before. I'm sorry. That Christ said, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, blah blah blah. That that's just an indication that he had to be ritually clean to be presented to God, that the sacrifice had to be presented to God, just like the lamb on the altar had to be presented to God and it had to be clean. It couldn't be Def, ritually defiled or profane. So That's my somewhere opinion. between where he appears to Mary and then and Thomas, somewhere between that he could have ascended and been presented to God in that time too. Why not? So there would have been two ascent. Yeah, no, I'm just asking. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, you know what? If you stick to the fact that it was only one ascension, then you're going to be forced to conjecture what he meant in John chapter 20 but if you leave your mind open to the possibility that the ascension before the apostles wasn't the only ascension or or the only presentation of Christ to God then maybe the ascension itself was an allegory well could be but but maybe that was the only public ascension. Right. Well, that's what I mean. 
Yeah, no, that's fine. I, I was considering how he presented himself to God. And in your writing, Bill, you had it written that you only believed in one ascension. So that's why I was asking you is because you had that written down. In one of I don't know if I wrote that. One ascension. So, yeah. I, was, well, I, mean, I don't know if I wrote me, that though, because I, I don't think to... that I believe it. Which one was that, Joe? I just... Um, I think, like Bill said, you just gotta keep an open mind about it. I mean, cause the, yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't know which paper it was now, but it, I, I was reading through all this and I was saying, okay, so here's the ascent. The, I was considering how Christ presented Himself to God between Mary and Thomas, and um, then I read after that that Bill had said he there's only one ascension. Uh, so I, that's just why. That's just why I'm asking, but I, I'm not excluding the possibility. I was just considering how, other way, how would Christ present himself to God in that time if there's only one ascension, but Bill's now clarified and said that he doesn't. Well, I mean, I may have misspoke in another context, but I don't think so. The phrase one ascension doesn't appear in my search engine on my site. Well, I, I it's think... It's also possible that Mary had cooties. Yeah, I think Nick Fuentes and the Reuters <laughs> like the fact that uh, a woman says not to t- uh, Jesus says the woman not to touch me. Yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> well, they're indirectly as if they're calling Christ a sodomite. Doesn't it seem like that? <clears throat> I mean, very often I've referred to the ascension. And by that, I'm referring to the ascension of Acts chapter 1. But I don't think that means it was only one ascension, that that was the only ascension. That's just the ascension mentioned in the Bible. Right. The ascension that's described in Scripture. But where was Christ like for all the days? Like, I think Paul said he appeared... Over 40 days or over some period of days, there's so many hundreds of disciples. Let me try to find yeah, it. Was, yeah, it was, it was something like that. I think it was 40 days. That sounds right. Well, it makes sense. He spent 40 days in the desert. Yeah, the, the whole 40 days, 40 years in the desert. It, for some reason, that seems to correlate. Don't the Catholics teach that he went into hell? Isn't that part of the doctrine? Uh, the Catholic, well, yeah, Catholics, when he was dead. Was that, dead. That's from First Peter chapters three and four, and that's <coughs> and I've I, I've actually professed that. Yeah, but he preached in hell. Uh, okay, Hades was the underworld Hades. abode of the dead. And I believe that that represents the alienation of man from God before the sacrifice of Christ, which reconciled man to God, right? The Adamic man to God. So he, according to Peter, preached to the spirits in the prison, which is in in Hades, and released those spirits from, from Hades and reconciled them to God. That's how I see that. Yeah. I think he went to bring comfort, right, to those people who were lost there. Well, he brought the gospel to them. He saw and so many. I don't know if he saw when to show, though. And 
Those are the people from the time of the flood. Oh yeah, especially those guys. The worst sinners. Okay, Paul doesn't tie it to a number of days. He just says that he was then seen of Cephas, which is Peter, then of the twelve, which happened the first day, right, of the resurrection. And after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, the greater part of whom under this day are present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles. So he's talking about the events that are evident from John, from the closing chapters of the Gospel of John, for sure. But that 500 brethren of once, that's not evident in the Gospel of John. That's not recorded in the Gospels, as far as I know. But what I'm trying to say is that there was space between these events and these events took several weeks to unfold. So where was he? I don't think he was hanging out in the desert, right? But there was one ascension, like publicly, like Doom said, in, that's recorded in Scripture in Acts chapter 1. That doesn't mean that that's the only ascension. It doesn't. We're just not told. It's just not recorded. Well, if you're a Mormon, if you're a Mormon, he came over here and he uh, preached to the uh, whatever the Nephites. <laughs> I found I found the paper bill. It's in um, Acts one. Uh, wait, hold on. Book of Acts, chapter one, part two. You say there were not two ascensions of Christ. Luke mentions the ascension of Christ at the end of his gospel, and then he describes it in further detail here. At the beginning of the book of Acts, this repetition is a literary device called re- recapitulation. So that's just that's the just, that's just, public ascension that the ascension in Luke at the end of the chat, gospel of Luke is the same ascension as the ascension in Acts chapter 1. That's all I'm trying to say there. And yeah, and so, maybe but I could word it better. There's another ascension between Mary and Thomas too. I'm sorry. So, so in in that paper there, you're referring to there's only that one ascension. You're referring only specifically. You, you say there were no, there wasn't two ascensions, right? Well, yeah, I'm now, just yeah. trying to explain that the ascension at the end of Luke is not a different ascension than the one in Acts chapter one. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I was just, I was just letting you know where I'd actually read that in your right. in your work. It's in. And why I was asking the question, I'm fine with um, there being two ascensions. I'm just saying that that's where. All I'm, I'm saying is that I'm I'm leaving the wrong impression because it's not complete. And and I understand that. I I can appreciate that. I actually do that often. I do do that often. Might just have to reword it. Right. Uh, he doesn't have to reword it just because. It's just a question that I had considered, like, how did Christ present himself? Oh, I mean, that's fair, because <laughs> it seems like he, what he's saying is just to talk about the two different yeah. iterations of it and not anything like, like what you're talking Related about. Related to that other bit, yeah. No, but uh, I have a question to everybody. Uh, is it bad for me to say 
that uh, uh, I, I love the Mormon church because they gave us a whole lot of white babies up until like the 1980s until they changed their doctrine. Yeah. But aren't well, they Freemasons? Yeah, you know what? I, I got relatives in the Mormon church. I'm sure a lot of us do in America that we don't even know about. I don't know those relatives, but I know that they're my relatives. Anyway, that the Mormon church is an incredible heresy. It is so heretical, it's ridiculous, but for some reason it attracted a very large number of people to move to Utah and to explode a white population there. So I agree with that that they did explode a white population in Utah, and they're a very close-knit community, and they do a lot of things that are right, but they're built on all these heresies. It's incredible. Hey, noble. Oh, I, I agree. I just, I just, it's just the fact that they, uh, they seem to do a lot of good things like storage and, you know, yeah, they do. I agree. But they just have all these heresies. It, it's incredible that they sure. seem to fulfill the word of God, even though they don't believe it, correctly as we see the scripture. It's been a in while the, since the, I've kind of looked into them. I, I, I have before, but are, are they... Are they really all Israelites, or do the Jews have some control behind that these days? I, I can't answer that. I don't know anything oh, about I, the I'm modern... pretty sure the Jews crept in uh, with Joseph Smith and uh, early on because he uh, he he learned a, he learned Hebrew from a uh, a so-called Jew up in oh. Ohio or Kirtland, Ohio. Wow. But, uh, yeah, it, I think that that whole Book of Mormon thing was uh, there back in that day. They were trying to figure out where these Indians came from. And they yeah, were they to, were uh, Israel. They were the 12 tribes of Israel, I swear. It was crazy. Well, the Indians, uh, unless you mean the North, Native American Indians or the Hindu Indians. Gentlemen, you all got to excuse <laughs> me for a minute. I'll be right back. The feather, the feather oh. yeah, the feather, not the dot. Okay, okay. Yeah, because the, the dot heads are a mix of, you know, basically, I think, Jephthah, Adamites. What's the difference? And, you know. what's, the, what's, the, what's the difference between a dot head Indian and a feather Indian? <laughs> well, probably yeah, probably the, yeah, the, true. Mein Kampf is still a, a bestseller in India, so hey. Yeah, it won't do them any good, though. That's that's because they think they're Aryans. That's not for any other reason than really, that. Really? Wow. They think if, that. If, the, if they if they the, didn't believe that they were Aryans, it would it would not sell well. Don't the higher society dots believe that they're white or or? They know, believe they're Aryan. You you get it from Turks and uh, and Syrians as well. They believe that they are Aryans. Iranians and Iraqis do too. Iranians and Iraqis um they think they're part white. They're Aryan. You know, and they were at one time. They used to be. You know that. They used to be, so, you know, they still think they have a claim. Hey, this is going back a while, Joe, not to derail any conversation, but we were talking about why, uh, you know, 
Judeo Christianity believes all these things, and I, you know, that's brought up in the protocols. Bill brought it up in Christ Right, but you know, the whole liberty, equality, fraternity thing, you know, the whole chant behind that to get everybody to believe that lie, and that's what Judeo Christianity believes these days. You know, we they believe that we all have to be equal and we all have to be friends. We have to love each other. Slogan of the beast. Yeah, exactly. It's that shallow kind of love, though. I'm about true love myself. I'm... No, I, I totally, <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. Because they, how many of these people that say they love everyone and want to, you know, you know, hire the nigger at work or or whatever it is, you know, like you know, give give everybody a pat on the back, invite the Muslim over for dinner. Do they really love those people? They don't love anyone, show, in my opinion. You know? yeah. It's like it's like when you meet the whore at the hippie concert. Don't think that that's me, okay? Let's say you go to a hippie concert, you meet the whore, and she's all like, free love for everybody. Is that real love? Exactly. <laughs> no, not it's only for that. for everybody. It's cheap. Well, it's they cheap bored love. themselves out. We're, they're the whore of Babylon, right? It's cheap love. It's shallow. But I, I, they call me a hater, but I'm about the true love. I'm the true love. You know, the hippies say they're about love. But I'm all about the true love. I'm the real lover. Right. <laughs> I don't want to say lover like that. I mean, I'm the real guy who's about the truth you, and love. And they you, claim it, but they don't. Nah, Joe, you got to stick with it, man. You make the hippie people <laughs> think that you're hateful by truly loving. Yeah. And, you yeah, know, and, here... uh, last time we had the open forum, I was saying, like, our religion's the only true nature religion because it's actually based on observations in nature. Like the laws that guide nature are the laws of our God, the creator God, because he created animals to be territorial, to keep to their own kind, kind after kind and their seed within them. We've got the real nature religion, but all those hippies out there, they think they're the nature religion. They think they're close to the earth. They're not close to the earth. They're living apart from nature. They're living in an, in an, in an, an abstraction and a lie. They defy the nature. They defy nature. What's that, sorry? They defy nature. Yeah, right, Bill. That's the word. They defy where, where, Here's Joe, the Where's Joe from? Oh, I'm from Australia, mate. G'day. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I was in Darwin for the uh, the old uh, U.S. Navy. So uh, Really? Well, that's I where don't... I was born in Australia. I've never left Australia, so that's where my accent comes from. How about your friends in New Zealand there? Are, are they uh, doing all we don't right? Have any, we, we don't have any friends in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> New Zealanders are the Canadians of the Pacific, Not even crowded right? house? Uh, did, uh, yeah, don't dream it's over uh, guy? Yeah, yeah, he came from New Zealand. The fun, there's a funny like rivalry between New Zealand and Australia. That's all. And England, and England too. Like, we'll call the England Poms and they'll call us names as well. Then the New Zealanders will mock us and we'll mock them back. There's like a, yeah, between New Zealand, Australia, and England. And what is it with us white people with our stiff necks? I mean, we (laughs) fight each other to the hilt. Huh? Unreal. Yeah, you're so right, mate, because, um, people in Australia, Sorry, sorry, I'm um, doomed. 
I said the Jews pit us against each other. I oh yeah, for real, <laughs> for sure. But it's so crazy when you're in Australia and you're like, people say, I remember a few years ago, oh the pommies, they're taking over all these pommies around. You go up to um, you know Pelican Lake. And it's all pommies up there, mate. They've all, <laughs> all the, all the people around there are all pommies. And you think to yourself, you're worried about the English. Haven't you noticed how many chinks there are in Australia? Haven't you noticed the Indians and the Arabs? I mean, they're a bit much bigger problem than the, the English, but why are you worried about the poms? You're so right. Like we're always worried about our own people. We're always complaining about all oh, those Canadians. They're all coming down here. You know, those English people, those Kiwis, but we, we forget about all these bloody Indians, all these bloody Asians that are making a, our countries in the sewers. It's crazy. Well, I remember back in the nineties, uh, when I was in the military, they would said that, uh, that most of, uh, Perth or something was Chinese or something in Australia. Sydney's got a lot of Asians. Perth, I've been to Perth. Um, and it's, there are so many abos there. Like in my town, I've, I had only ever grown up and known like of one abo family in the area. And people thought, you know, typically of how you think of abos, like they're the niggas down the street who are living with a bunch of dogs and there's garbage everywhere. Right. But when you go over to Perth, there's abos everywhere and abos were like constantly pestering me. Give me two dollars, mate. Mate, can I have two bucks for a pack of smokes or some alcohol or something? And, um, so one time I went back up to the abos and I said, Hey, can I borrow 20 cents to make a phone call? <laughs> and the abos thought I was a racist because I'd asked them for money rather than them asking me for money. But yeah, there's abos everywhere in Perth. <laughs> well, Asians in Sydney, in in like Brisbane, Queensland, there's everything. I don't know. It's, it's just a. Well, it just seems like that they've uh, they've they've picked their targets, like Australia and Canada and all these certain uh, majority white places to uh, take up whatever. Well, that's it. It's all white countries. Blood of the serpent. It is. Yeah, it's all white countries. Yeah. They couldn't allow Australia to remain 100% white while every other white country was going, you know. Can you down. imagine if the uh, the truckers were all Chinese? Ooh, what a <laughs> That would never happen. That, that's why, that's part of the they reason just they get probably want to replace it would be a problem. Yeah, they would confirm very quick. That would yeah, they would. would. They would. Asians do. Asians are probably the most, the biggest population that's got all their vaccines. And stuff like that. They go along with everything. Did they really get vaccinated? Yeah, it seems like they're only vaccinating white countries, eh? The white people. It's like they only, they're not worried about the corona in Africa or in China. They're mostly worried about vaccinating white people and we'll get to the rest later. Well, no, yeah, yeah, but but all the aliens, all the aliens in the white countries get vaccinated because they have no problem with it. Yeah. Well, it was on the label, uh, and they, you know, they they spend it a different way, but it said, you know, for use only in Europe and USA, and the African uh, guy said, I'm not going to take this. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, that's because, (laughs) yeah, you don't want to take it because that's for uh, the whitey. This is the whitey dose. Who said that? 
There was something I was uh, one of these African, uh, you know, people came out and said that they saw the label of the uh, vaccine and it said only for use in the USA and Europe. And he refused wow. to take it because he thought, you know, what, what are they what are they trying to do to me? But I'm thinking, you know, it's because, you know, they only want to give the whitey dose uh, what what's uh, killing people. Yeah, I just don't think, and I mean, I don't know, but I just don't think that they have the um, the infrastructure in place to suddenly vaccinate everybody in Asia and Africa the way they have in Europe and America, where all these medical clinics and and even like supermarket chain drugstores are all set up to dispense these things. Right. It's on every street corner, like you said, Bill. Like Walmart, Meyer. Right. I mean, all the supermarkets. Walgreens, every. Yep. Every Come get your place. free flu shot, free flu shot, free vaccine, free everything. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Get a free donut. To, well, that's our problem. Uh, we're, 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 we're too, uh, too civilized. <laughs> Well, like one of our competitors, they were offering like, I want to say three to $5,000 to get vaccinated. Wow. Their employees. And then our company comes around and says, basically, they'll give you four hours worth of pay. I'm like, uh, I, I can work two hours of overtime and make more than that. Here's um three thousand dollars. Have yourself a heart attack. Right, I, right, I exactly. Blood clot. And, and do you remember? Do you people remember at the beginning of the of the pandemic they were saying, "Oh, here's a free donut. Here's a free beer. Here's a free ice cream." <laughs> yeah. No vaccine has ever been developed in in like three months like this one has. It's incredible. It it is so transparent that this whole thing is a fraud, and they're just trying to get you to take something for some other reason, other than the reason they claim it's for. It it's wow. I don't know how what, people what don't I, see how, through it. What I how did they? What what I can't stand is these people that say, "Well, I'm not against vaccines, but." I'm just against somebody telling me to do it. So, well, you'll take every other vaccine that they have, right. but you're not going to take this one just because they're telling you to do it. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's like, pretty weak. Don't, don't you realize there's something wrong with it when they're telling you to do it? And if you'd actually do your research, you'd figure out that no vaccines are good for you. It is pretty, pretty weak, weak. But as I pointed out in the past, the vaccine debate goes back to the 1700s. Benjamin Franklin was arguing in favor of vaccines because he believed in science. Yeah. Yeah. Jews whispering in his ears. Back then it was smallpox. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, Bill, about uh, what do you think about Eustace Mullins in that book, uh, Death by by Injection or something? I've read that. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm not against Eustace Mullins. But I had an experience 10 years ago with his protege, Jesse Lee, 
And Jesse Lee ended up arguing with me about Bible interpretations, that his interpretations came from Eustace Mullins, and they were so far out there, they were so far off the map, that I got kind of upset and smacked Jesse Lee down a few times. And I couldn't believe that these were Eustace Mullins. He is so far off on the Bible that I never bothered to pursue him anymore. So... I mean, he might have some good stuff, but he probably should leave the Bible alone. For real. Uh, well, I find leave that it alone. A, uh, with a lot of these people that are, that are good on other issues, but when it comes to the Bible, they just like fall flat on their face. Yeah. Well, Eustace, I Amen. really believe, um, did fall flat on his face with the Bible. Now, he may have done great on the Federal Reserve or great on other death by injection or other subjects. But he should have left the Bible alone, for real. Even that David, uh, Raphael Johnson, Dr. Raphael, Matthew Raphael Johnson, he falls on the Bible every yeah. time, and he's a priest. Yep. He's great on European medieval history, and, and he has a lot of insight that's really good. I know because I've read it. I read it for years when he edited the Barnes Review, but he's horrible at the Bible. And ancient history. He does not belong there, ever. It's almost like it's the, the, the one last step that they just don't want to take. It's just like the, just, it's right there, and they just don't want to take that last step. If any of these people were right about everything, they would either be in jail or the revolution would already be on. Right. I agree. That's the problem with so many. That's true. That's true. Very good white nationalists and other authors and stuff, they don't want to take that final step, right? Well, a lot of them don't want to take that step because they've got a nigger in the bushes. That's true, too. Because they're controlled by anything else. I mean, I I was shocked at how many people watched the Super Bowl. I was disappointed that because there was talk in some circles of of doing a copycat strike where the, some truckers were trying to drum up support to blockade the Super Bowl. I wish they had. Why? How many I wish watched, they'd parked it. How many people I'm watched sorry, the what? Super Bowl? Too many. But they made a uh, a record number again, or something. I, I just I was I would think that that people would. Fail. They always it out by now, but maybe it's because there was what two white quarterbacks. That maybe that's their hope. Well, that could be. That was one plus of the Super Bowl, I guess. I didn't watch it. Though. I didn't I watch would, it either. Uh, I say that the same thing happens with video games. You know, people want to see escapism, even if the fuck is thinking, uh, making bad, uh, turning out bad stuff. Even that's not going to last much longer, though, because the uh, the NFL is now throwing a fit because there's too many white quarterbacks. Yeah, let them destroy themselves. Yeah, it's well, that, that that's the real entertainment. The the, the real the real show is watching watching the serpent eat its tail. That's the real entertainment. Yeah, yeah go to hell. <laughs> I, I like to say that they had a half nigger when the Super Bowl couple years ago i mean and they, they've been trying to when i still watch sports they were trying to make the niggers win the nigger quarterbacks win all the time anyway well uh define half nigger 
I'm, I'm uh, well, his dad was a nigger and his mom was white. <laughs> well, doesn't that make him all nigger? Well, really? you know what I mean. <laughs> a mongrel, I should say. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, no, you, you, you're right to correct me. He's a mongrel. He is a nigger. <laughs> this is why I sometimes say that we could be like the most progressive leaders you know, in the world, because we could just like at NFL. Well, why haven't you replied? Why haven't you got a black quarterback yet? You know, oh, we don't want to lose money. It's like, oh, so you don't believe in equality? Then you don't believe in multiculturalism? You're a racist. Well, <laughs> you know, we could throw it back in their face because they're obvi- they they've come into our society. They're robbing us every day, just so that they can live every day while they slander us to our face. You know, fuck them. Go to hell. Exactly. Yeah, I, I was I was speaking to someone. Um, that's why I laugh every time. Uh, every time those niggers in New York City uh, club an Asian to death, that's becoming an epidemic now because they blame <laughs> the Asians for the pandemic. Have you heard about that, Joe? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have actually. All, 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 and, and the Asian, the the progressive Asians are trying to blame it on white people. It's like okay, yeah, that's not, yeah, that's enjoy hilarious. your ass kicking the next time you go to the subway. You have Did you see that, that message? There was a message in in Congress today, in the Senate, and it was from, like, the Senate Majority Leader or something. He's all pissed off that this nigger in Louisville, Kentucky, that tried to assassinate a Jewish mayoral candidate got locked up and got bailed out, like... Within 48 hours, by this... Yeah, BLM tried to kill that guy. There was an assassination attempt. They locked his ass up, and BLM ponied up the the bail within, like, 10 hours. It was real fucking quick. Yeah, and this senator is all pissed off about it. This one senator is all pissed off. He's convention. He's a Jew. It's great. He's real mad. It's like the system, like, caving in and attacking itself. It really is. You should see the comments on that, Bill. I only glanced at them, but they're hilarious because the the Jews are trying the thing they always do, where they're vic- where they're playing the victims. And then there's a bunch of because, of course, this has gone mainstream with niggers now. There's just a million black Hebrew Israelites coming in and saying, "You're not Israel." It's the funniest thing you've ever seen. It's well, that is great, great because yeah. the Jews created those motherfuckers, and it's coming back to bite them in the ass. Yeah, the the all the all the hotep niggers are coming down on their heads, saying, "No, you deserve it. You're all swindlers and liars. You're yeah. the I don't even you deserve what the, what it. We was came. Say you're the son of Jackass or something. You're not. <laughs> you're not even a real Abrahamite. Get the hell out of here. Right. Right. We it, was it, it's, it's just it's a it's a it's tears killing tears. The trap they prepared for us <laughs> is now going to fall on them. Well, they 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 the walked up to us. Yeah, they walked up to us and lit a stick of dynamite and held held it out to us and said, this is going to blow up and kill you. And they're just standing there holding it. <laughs> they, they, didn't, they didn't think about what would happen 20 seconds later because Canaanites haven't done that. They've never done it since Cain didn't think about what would happen after Abel was dead. No. Well, you know why? It's Cain he- had no foresight. He tried to bullshit God. Exactly. He, he had no plan. There niggas. was no plan. <laughs> 
You know why they have no plans? It's because they're niggers. Kikes are niggers. The nigger mindset, you've got to understand the the nigger mindset. (laughs) The niggers can't grow crops because they can't plan for the seasons. They can't plan the watering cycle. They can't see that in a few months they're going to have a crop. That's why they don't plant crops because they're dumb niggers without future planning. That's why they commit crimes. They commit crimes because in their head, when they commit the crime, they can't even imagine a future where they're in prison. And the kikes are niggers. So the kikes will commit some crime and then be astonished when they're held to account for their crimes because they're dumb niggers. The kikes can't grow shit because they're dumb niggers. The kikes can't get anything right. They, They're going to be can't the fight, great They can't hunt. They can't cultivate crops. They can't. They can't do animal husbandry. All of these things require require forethought, right? Our the enemy only, is pathetic. The the only real difference between between a nigger and a Jew is that both of them don't have any foresight. But the yeah. nigger is incredibly stupid, while the Jew is clever. But they both still don't have foresight, right? right. So a nigger will make. Terrible mistakes in They're the short cunning, term. Not clever, cunning. They're cunning. Sorry. I'll give you that. That's true. Cunning, and they have incredible of... chutzpah. Well, they will lie to yeah. you right to your face. Yeah. They'll lie through their teeth right to your face and expect you to believe it. Yeah, it's 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 every lie. it's every New York Jew stereotype, right? This this idea of sure. doing the stock trading, right? I'll 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 buy the dip. I'll sell I'll sell the upswing, right? I, I magically conjure, you know, a half a million dollars out of nothing. They'll keep doing this over and over again. They don't notice or don't care that it's causing, you know, an economic bubble. And then they'll they'll keep making all these really clever or cunning short term decisions right up until the mob hangs them and they didn't see it coming. And then they're like, Why me? Why me? I'm being prosecuted. I, I know. I know. Earlier, though, you know they, they know what I'm I'm a lampshade. <laughs> the only thing that makes Jews smart is white naivete. The whites are so yeah. naive yeah. and believe the Jewish lies that Jews seem really smart, and they're not smart. They're really Jews are not smart. I've never thought they were smart, but they have such chutzpah that they will tell you the most fabulous lies right to your face and expect you to believe it. And and most white people do believe it because most white people can't imagine that another human being would lie so boldly to their faces. But they know the mob has blind rage and they don't care if they lose a few of their own. They admit it. The non-whites think we're stupid. The non-whites think we're stupid every time they trick us with one of their crimes because they don't have a conscience like we have. No, they don't. So we're trying to do the right thing because we got conscience. And they think we're stupid for having a conscience. Also, that's of course they do. That's why they see kindness as weakness. We have a conscience and we're kind to other humans, and they see that as weakness. And yep. in their eyes, it is weakness. Well, uh, another someone, instance someone of question. Yes, me, uh, Waltyov. Uh, didn't you say that basically Cain hates Abel more than he loves himself? 
So, you know, I think... I, I, I believe I said that at some point, and I, I think the reason I said it is because if he if he truly loved himself, he wouldn't have done something as stupid as, as kill Abel and not think about the consequences, right? He, he, he hated his brother, or his half-brother, however you want to spin it. He hated his half-brother more than he loved himself, and fundamentally that that is the Jews, because they don't understand love and they never have. That's fine. A, a, Jew, a Jew's idea of love is a porno. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what I wanted to say. Uh, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but what I wanted to say is this: this, you know, conflict that a nigger tried to kill a Jew is the perfect example of that. You know, uh, the Jew caused hatred to whites so much that it's going to reflect on them. Well, I, I, I think I made this argument in in the chat, but I'll, I'll make it again. Right. That the, the fundamental difference between white people and Jews is we both project onto each other, but we have a different understanding. So we project differently when, when white people think about non-whites and Jews, we assume they're like us, which is a mistake, right? That's the whole point of universalism. That's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. We project Israelite traits onto non-Israelites and then we act shocked when uh-huh. it, it doesn't work out, right? But when, when Jews have to come up with lies, when they have to invent a story, right, to say what what a, what, what a white man has done for crimes, like what a criminal white is, they, they can't do it, right? The, the Holocaust is a fantastic example of that. It's not just a lie. It's a terrible lie. It's, it's a clown lie. It's ridiculous. They have to come up with these, these outrageous ideas like, like electrified floors, right? And roller coaster mine carts throwing people into building sized ovens, right? And cage fights and, and turning. And here, here's the real point. So, the, so the soap and the, the soap and the lampshades, yeah. right? Which is yeah. the most infamous one. If, if I'm a racist and I don't like niggers, why would I want to turn? Why am I, why am I gonna take nigger fat and turn it into soap and rub it on my body? That's disgusting! <laughs> yeah, why, no. Why, That's why the would last I, why would I, why would I take a Jew and make a Jew leather chair or a Jew leather lampshade? I don't like Jews! Get that shit away from me! That's ridiculous! Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's disgusting. That's the Canaanite mindset, right? Yeah, that's, it is. That's, that's what they mindset. would do. Though, it's what they like, would they, do. Yeah, they we, would sit in a room in like human, like couches with a lamp, a human lampshade, and they would think it was great because it's how a Jew thinks. Yeah, right. so like we can white, see how like a Jew white, thinks. It's like a trophy for them. They're like white baby blood. Yeah. Well, we can we, see we, how we, they think when they project onto us, like what you're saying, Dasha. When they project onto us, how they think, we can see. Like this is how a Jew thinks. That's the only way we ever get an insight into how right. they think is when they project onto us their own perversions. Yeah, and and they're savages, and we can clearly see that in what they project. Right when they when they have to come up with crimes that we are guilty of, when they have to invent a story, the False story. Accuser. Yeah, the the false accusation is simply going to be projection. It can't be anything else, right? When we when we falsely accuse non-whites of kindness and compassion, we simply imagine that they're white people with a different color of skin, which is wrong. When Jews have to falsely profess us, they just imagine we're a different kind of Jew, and you can see it in their accusations. They they come up with these crazy stories. If you go back like even a little bit, even a short way back, 
you can see this incredible projection. There were Jews accusing white people of of trying to use drugs to sterilize Jews and niggers. Boy, boy, is that topical. Yeah. There are – the fact, Dash, are that they think that they're going to build this new world order where they're in control and they have all the power and they're like gods just shows how dumb they are because intelligence is correlated with arrogance and arrogant people are usually not too smart. Um, niggers have high, 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 sky high self-confidence yet when, when they come to the test, they fall because where they thought they, they were better than this from though. Sorry, yeah, because because they don't have a spirit before God. They they're so arrogant. They think of themselves as God. The nigger thinks it's a God. The, th- the nigger thinks it's the greatest thing ever. And so you can see that when they build this, they think they're going to have this society where they're gods, right? That that arrogance they have is a sign of their their intellectual and psychological life too. Because that what a white man could never imagine that he could have, he would never even attain to that. Because he knows it's not going to be successful. It would take divine power to establish what they want for themselves. But what the Jews want for themselves would would require the power of a god to obtain. They think they're going to attain it. They really truly believe that they've got it all planned out and they're going to. It's all worked out. And then when the day comes, they will be shocked. How did I, they, why us? Why us? What did we hey, do? No, How did I, it I fall totally apart? Agree we play. But the thing is. The media props them up like they're gods, and so much of our society treats them like gods. The well, the the entertainers, the athletes. So no wonder all these other ones, even the ones from the ghetto, think that they're fucking god. They think that they're just like, you know, they're just the same as whoever, whatever nigger ape is dribbling the ball down the court or running a football. There are so many non-whites who are who are so so ego like their ego is just up in the sky, inflated, <laughs> and then they just you know they come to a great fall all of a sudden because they had no humility, they didn't see the well, coming troll, they couldn't even assess how good or bad they were at something. Right. They thought they were the greatest minds ever, and of course they weren't. They aren't. Well, right. And to go back on something that you said, Joe, you, you know, they were, you know, so, you know, the brainwashed person wants to think that they're just like us. There's, there's no difference. And I, like, I seriously question what kind of relationships these people have had with the other races. You know, if they've ever, like, really known somebody and, and know that they're going to betray you. That's what they do. They use you. And if they can't use you anymore, they drop you. You won't see them again. It's like the bum when you start stop giving them money and know you're not going to give them money anymore. They're not going to even ask you. That's, that's what they're like. I mean, that's been my experience at least. It's like I'm all awesome. the whites to the north, all the whites to the north feeling bad for all the the uh, enslaved blacks in the south. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they like them as a concept. Like Gentlemen, it's been... In an Indian. 
And they, 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 I didn't realize it at the time because I was trying to be friendly with them because, you know, I'm living in this share house. I'm a young guy. I don't know anything about racism at this point. So I'm trying to be friendly with these people. They're not friendly. I, I, I lived with maybe three groups of non-whites. They, they are traitors. They, and they, yeah. they're actually loyal to each other and they hate mm-hmm. whitey. They hate whitey they, because you're of what you are. They do. And like you said, Joe, even before I, you know, became to the came to this recognition. I would hear some black people talking at work and couldn't believe that. Like this one guy was like saying, "Oh yeah, this movie sucks, but it's you know it's got all black actors in it and stuff, so we should support it. You should buy it or you should go to the movie theater and see it." You know, it's like if it sucks, why do you want to spend your money on it? But they like they're they're more racist than we are. I mean. Not that we shouldn't be, but, you know, it is what it is today. It, but that's how they, they are. They they really are racist. And the, the white Israelites, white people can't see that they're just putting on a show for us. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. They're so devious. They're they all racist. They see. They're well, all racist. The whole time I lived with non-whites, they were conspiring against me, and I I tried to look past it and ignore it and try and be friendly, um, naivety, and you realize at a point that they've been conspiring against you. They hate you, and white people don't mm. see how much and they hate us and see your gentlemen, right. gentlemen, smile. gentlemen, gentlemen. We can stay here all night and talk, but I'm about to cut recording. And I love y'all, and um, and I really appreciate your participation here this evening. But four hours is probably sufficient. <laughs> we could stay here and talk all night. Y'all could stay here and talk all night. Yeah. But pray, shall we? Thank you for your participation. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And good night. <laughs>